Hey, everybody, welcome into the Raw Knuckles podcast. We'd really appreciate it if you'd like, subscribe, and share with a friend. I guess I didn't, I could have dealt with it better, but I went in. And so he just sat me down, and I'm like 15 feet away in this small little chair, and he's looking at me, and he lights up a dart. So I just stare right into his eyes, like right into his eyes, which is so <laughs> awkward. But now he's smoking, and I'm looking directly into his eyes like it's a fucking uh, Sergio Leone movie. And I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just staring. Like Anyway, he smokes it down to the butt, looks away, he goes, get the fuck out of my office. I was like, whoa, get the fuck out of the really? office. And I'm like, what? When I stepped on the ice, I never backed down and I never stayed down. And I was vicious and I was malicious and I don't care. <laughs> Terry, Ryan, awesome to see you, buddy. Good to have you on the Raw Knuckles podcast. Say hello to my partner, Tim Stapleton. How are you, Timmy? Stapes. How you doing, Terry? I'm bad at all. Good to be with you guys today. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Uh, listen, Terry, Ryan, uh, I'll never forget the night we met. And I was still running a little crazy, <laughs> as you know. Uh, it's well documented. And we met, uh, I think it was, was it Cheers in Montreal? Yeah, it was Cheers. Yeah. And, and did you just get called up? I did, yeah. It was. was that the night you fought Bob Bugner? In my memory, it was. I was going to say, I think it was the night against Buffalo, which would have been Bugner, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, it, I'll never forget it. We hit it off right away. And I always go back to when I came here to Montreal, and I knew nothing about Canada, okay? Yeah. I was coming to Montreal. I might as well have been going to Vancouver. I, I didn't know how far away it was or what. Yeah. And when I got here, all I ever heard is people making fun of new Finlanders. Yeah. And, you know, I'm there. What's the joke? What's the, the Newfie thing? And when I finally got the opportunity to go to Newfoundland, the people are the nicest people in this country. And I'm like, what, what's the big joke? And, you know, I, I just I just didn't get it. But. You're a Newfoundland guy, um, growing up, Habs fan, Leafs fan. Uh, talk to me. I was a huge Habs fan, Knuckles, and I was coming in. They say your, you know, your sports heroes are formed between like I, I think they say eight and twelve, five and twelve. So I was born in '77, big Habs fan. So when you guys won the cup, especially, I remember those years distinctly. I remember. Your stats, I was a big fan. I'm not just saying it because I'm on your show. I remember 80, 45, 85, 86. You had around 20 each year and then like something crazy, like almost 400 penalty minutes. I remember it was, it was stats like that I'd never even heard of before. That you really, quite frankly, don't get talked about enough. Like almost 400 penalty minutes and 20 goals on a Stanley Cup winner. So I, I, that was all ingrained into my head. And as a Newfoundlander, like you said, now that you've been over here, we're big, big fans of original six teams, the top two being Toronto and Montreal. And it was one or the other. And I guess I, I just had the opportunity to go to a few Canadians games early on. And that formed my fandom. So, uh, so the uh, Habs fan, awesome. Um, there's a pretty big Boston fan base in Newfoundland too, no? Big connection. Big, yeah. Especially after Michael Ryder ended up winning the cup. We've only had a few cup winners. Danny Cleary, Alex Newhook, and uh, Michael Ryder. So in recent years, even more so. 
But there was always, you know, uh, Newfoundlanders have always been big hockey fans way back, even before Confederation. Like, we only joined Canada in 49. But if I were to talk to all my older relatives, they would all tell me about Foster Hewitt, almost stories. Like, you know, people would sit around. It was the same deal. Watch Hockey Night in Canada. My dad was born in 52 and uh, ended up playing pro hockey himself. And I think most people's like it, it, it's in families over here. So you get a lot of those original six because people have been fans for a long time. And as you know, Newfoundland is not as transient as a lot of places. There's some of these communities still the same families, you know, the Danny Cleary, for example, it's from uh, Riverhead, a little part of Harbor Grace, which Harbor Grace is the oldest part yeah. of uh, oldest European settled part of North America, right? 1602 John Guy and Cupid say that's, that's how far the families go back. So they generally, a lot of the times it's traditional within a family to cheer for the same teams. And, you know, if you go back far enough, then it's more, most of the original six kind of stuff. Why don't you have that crazy, uh, don't Newfies have that crazy accent? You can't, they're like the, that movie Snatch. You well, it's like... funny. Yeah, it's funny because the, the, the TV show I'm on now, Shorzy, calls for that. So I can switch it up and talk like this if I want to, right? Because my relatives talk like this, right? He goes, right, and he drops the puck and he plays hockey like young Ryan there. Look. But I, I can. My family talks. Like, and, you know, when I first moved away, there wasn't the globalization of the Internet. I went to the Western Hockey League and I left at 14 because there wasn't much opportunity here. And I, I wasn't embarrassed. I really wasn't. I'm still not. But I think my accent changed a little bit because people, quite frankly, couldn't understand what I was saying. The Internet changed a lot with opinions. Like you said, the Newfie jokes, those are a thing. I mean, I, I think I think they just derive because we, we're, we're not afraid to poke fun at ourselves. And Knuckles, think about the, the communities over here. A lot went to Boston, by the way, in Philadelphia, back before the yeah. border was such a thing. You know, we go way back hundreds of years. So... Um, a lot of the families here lived, you know, fishing was big and people decided that they wanted to, you know, rather than re literally float just down south, you go out in St. John's Harbor and float, you'll be in Florida a few days. Or a few weeks. <laughs> yeah. So, but I think people, you know, the people that decided to stay here were family people. They, they just, you know, back then, you know, it was all about fishing. Now we have big fishing is a big industry, but it was all about fishing. So people were all along the coastline in these small little places. You got to entertain yourselves. You got to tell jokes, stories, you know, people play instruments. My, my family, most of them around the Bay would say they're not musicians, yet they all perform, right? They're all performers. You go to a, the local legion, have your beers, and people are playing the ugly stick or they're, you know, we do it with Knuckles and a lot of these hockey hockey uh, tournaments we or the games we play, the charity games that we used to play. So, yeah. you know, you see these communities, and, and I think, you know, being so poking fun at yourself, uh, telling stories, uh, playing mu music, you know, all these things are, it's kind of our evolutionary process. It's been 400 years now that a lot of people, a lot of the same families. And I think you just, if you don't have that and you you can't socialize and be a family and be together. And I think that's why a lot of times Newfoundland make, Newfoundlanders make good teammates, you know, like oh, yeah. kind of yeah. in our blood yeah. to, to go out and, and, and sacrifice for, for each other. Well, let's talk about that. And you brought up your dad, uh, Terry Senior, who I had the uh, pleasure of meeting when I visited Newfoundland. We were playing some alumni hockey. It was uh, a lot of fun. Uh, spent some time at your place. Got to meet your dad, your mom. Now, dad uh, played minor hockey, played WHA, Minnesota. Um, now, were you not on the scene yet? Um, when he was playing hockey or I was born in 77, the, the tail end, the twilight of his career. My dad. Yeah. Uh, it was just at the end. Yeah. Right? Just at the end. So dad, yeah. you're right. You're right. Dad 
came from a family. It was, uh, for lack of a better word, it was poor. His dad was a waiter. His mom didn't work. He's got five brothers and sisters. So he's from Grand Falls, Newfoundland, a little town. I don't believe that growing up, I'm not saying that they didn't appreciate the NHL. We didn't have any players there yet. Our first was Alec Faulkner right around that time. So it just seemed so far away. It seemed like, again, it just seemed like a different country almost. Newfoundland had just joined Confederation. So, but Grand Falls had a big mill. Abitibi Price ran it, and they had a lot of money, and they brought in Joe Byrne, who was a 10-year NHL vet and um, just retired, really knew what he was doing. So five guys off my dad's Grand Falls team ended up going pro. Uh and, and and they all went to the OHL like within a couple of years. But dad didn't like when he got there, his goal was to get a degree. Like it sounds crazy yeah. now, but no one in this family had, had a degree and no one had a regular job that paid that much money as a teacher would. The salaries weren't quite as much in the seventies. Well, not quite. They weren't, they weren't. So, you know, he signed with Minnesota, got his schooling paid for, got a decent bonus um, with the fighting saints after a successful year, a few years in the OHL. Last year he had forty nine goals, um, but he went over there and he, and he funny he led the he led the WHA in shorthanded goals. He played one year he had, and he <laughs> held the record for six years. He had six. He didn't play much, but he played every penalty kill, and was really proud of that. But when he went back, he he tried to go back to the Minnesota North Stars, and I think they were a bit well standoffish as you would be because he didn't choose there at first. And I'm not sure. He says he had a good camp. But he says, in my mind, I had one foot out the door. I wanted to go home and teach. And they lured him out a couple of times. Cam, uh, Kalamazoo, in the, when, when I was born, I think 77, around there, lured him back. He, he'd been here. He'd been teaching. He had a degree. And he went back. And I think he had like 100 points. And when he didn't, didn't get up again, he just came back. And that was it. I don't think he ever put everything. When he played, he played hard. And he's definitely a, a true teammate that way. But when my dad had his degree. I think, like I said, he had one foot out the door. He wanted to take it and he went, and he just retired a few years ago after a successful 35 year teaching career. And uh, I don't think he regrets much. And it's a good thing he retired early because he really helped me out. What's he teach? What was he teaching? Uh, he taught, if you can believe this, he taught history and French. Yeah. He, he taught French. He, awesome. So he was good. When, when, it's funny. when, when, when He's totally bilingual. Terry? Yeah. He, he'll tell yeah. you that it, it's harder for him to speak French in Quebec than it is in France. I know he'll tell you that because when you learn, mm. when you learn in school, I, I think, I think the way he puts it, he says, Terry, it'd be like learning English in London, England, and then going to Newfoundland and trying to speak it. it, <laughs> yeah. it there's a lot of slang going on. So, you know, he could help and he, he can speak if he goes to Quebec city. Don't get me wrong. He just has to slow it down a little bit. And, you know, he's teaching it. He doesn't really practice it that much, Yeah. but no, that's, that's what he did for all those years. He, my dad was, elated when he had his degree and he still will tell you the story about how hockey paid for it and it'll bring a smile to his face so i don't think he has many regrets about it well that's awesome and again um so you know i I was surprised at that i didn't know he had a degree and that and that's unheard of for a hockey player back in that day right it's unheard back then so it's impressive and let's talk about terry jr and how does terry senior Get your nose into the game of hockey. You know what's funny? Um, part of it was it, subconscious, like osmosis. It's it's not like he ever said, "Come on, you're coming to the rink, and you uh, better be ready." It it was just he he came home. He retired early, played a little bit of senior hockey, and they would pay him well and uh, to do that. 
back in the late 70s, early 80s. So it was part of my life. And then he started coaching. When he hung up the skates, he really did hang them up. But he started coaching, and he coached the Junior Blades here, the Mount Pearl Blades. They're actually in the Hall of Fame. Got inducted a couple of years ago. They won the city championship two years in a row. But the second year, they went undefeated, and they went on to win the Provincials, and then they won the Atlantic. You couldn't go any further at the time. So I was a product of that. I was watching it all. And my dad, my mom, if you can believe this, my mom ran minor hockey and ran the scheduling. And she would always put the junior or senior blades, whichever team dad was coaching, uh, last. So say Mount Pro minor hockey would be done on Sunday night at, at 9. The blades would practice 9 to 10 or 10.30. And then he'd say, hey, if you want the ice, there's nobody on. Uh, the rink attendant, actually, who I'm living in his house right now, his name is Tony Fonspaolo, had a stroke a couple of years ago and needs a bit of help now, but a great friend. Uh, and he he would look the other way. Fons would, would say, yeah, no problem. I'll do my other stuff around the rink. I'll clean up. I'll look the other way. You guys can go on. So me and my buddies would have free ice time, man. So it was indirect at first. It's not like he was saying, coaching me, but my buddies and I, and we won. We won everything. We, our, our last year, my last year minor hockey, we like we destroyed it. It was 10 to nothing, 16 to nothing. We won the provincials. It was almost out of hand, but that was it, right? We, we, if you build it, they will come. We were given free ice. And not only that, we would be around there for the last part of the practices. And it's my dad who just came back from pro, the best coach in Newfoundland. I don't mind saying at the time, brought a lot to the team. I mean, they won the Atlantics, right? Undefeated. And um, then he started coaching senior and senior hockey here has an, you know, it's very, it's big. It's, it's huge, huge, right? right? In my yeah, time, yeah. we uh, we got in three Allen Cup finals, won a couple of them. Um, I, I stopped playing last year, but it's real big. So at the time, for example, the Mount Pearl Blades, who lost, it's not like they were the best team in the league, but I was going up to watch them. They had Gordy Gallant, who played in the NHL and WHA. Mario Roberge was here in 91, 92, 92, 93. Yeah. won it with the Habs. Right the year before, yeah. he's here playing senior hockey. Bill McDougal was playing here. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, God, there was... There's a bunch more. Got a ring. Kevin McCarthy. Yeah, <laughs> Kevin Morrison, a big tough guy who played right at the end of the uh, beginning of your career, Knuckles. Uh -huh. So, like, it wasn't – I would go up to my local rink, like, just with a bag of chips and a Pepsi and watch NHL players. And it was unique to my community or, I guess, Newfoundland, the way the senior hockey works. So, between that and then all that ice time, I grew early and I went to the Quebec Pee Wee tournament. And I didn't really know how good I was on a level of – you know, on a relative level amongst the other provinces. I knew I was good around here, but again, it's Newfoundland. And we had a defeatist attitude at the time. We had no NHLers at the time. Um, you know, there was the Newfie jokes, which as much as it was fun, it was just some level of, it was subconscious, but there was a level of like, we're going to lose. Like, you know, it was like, we're inferior. What, when you were, when you were P? Yes, right. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. So listen, I, I've seen you play. I've seen you play senior and uh, NHL, all that. And I, I think you're a good player, really good player. You can skate, Thanks. control the puck. You can score goals. You can pass a puck. You're tough, all that. Now, as a peewee, yeah. when you went to that tournament, yeah. and, and, okay, we all have those insecurities as kids, yeah. right? After that tournament's over, how did you feel you measured up to the best in the basically the world, the country yeah. and the world? Because there's teams everywhere from right. Knuckles. I mean, there's a team this year, Ukraine, yeah. Russia, everywhere. There's a team from everywhere. It's the biggest minor hockey tournament in the world, man. 180 yeah. teams there that year, cool. and it was great in Mount Pearl. It was. I, I also came from a great system in Mount Pearl. They put a lot back. They raise a lot of money. If you make an A or a B team, you get to go on a trip. 
That's the and Newfoundland. Think about it. We're isolated. You get to go on a trip yeah. away, right? You get to go away, and that's a big thing. And they pay for the gear. You if if, if you if you need gear in, in Mount Pearl, you get gear given to you. People raise the money. It's it's a very great minor hockey system. So we went to that. And again, I was ripping it up around here, but now the first game we played Chikudami, we win eight to two. I get five. Okay, now Chikudami's a real team. Right? There you go. Now we play. We're in International B. There's NHL one, two, three, and there's International ABC. So, and then we. So my coach, there's all kinds of scouts there now to see me, and not just me. We have some other good players. A couple guys ended up playing junior, it, but we didn't know it at the time. And again. Now we play the Toronto Red Wings. This is the Toronto Red Wings. And so we schedule and My coach is scheduling exhibition games on the side days because this is the only chance that we get to be seen, right? There's no internet at the time. Uh-huh. No one's flying to Newfoundland to hear these stories about some guy off a boat that scored goals. We've seen it before. <laughs> good, right? And then, so um, I, I play the game against the Toronto Red Wings. We lose, but it's the Toronto Red Wings. We lose by three, maybe four, but I remember having three. Right, whatever you did, we we might have lost seven to seven to three, but I had three. So <laughs> now people are you now. There's there's a name now. We we play a team from France, and the way it works is you play in the Coliseum till you lose. So now there's an article in the paper. It says Terry Ryan Aretaner, and and I, I think that means a name to remember. And it's it's yeah. the whole front page of the sports. Now I walk into the rink. People are there with pins and everything, all collectors, and they're asking me to sign all these things. We come out. There's ten or twelve uh, thousand <laughs> twelve thousand people there. And I realize, holy shit, they're here to see me. It doesn't click in until we go out. I'm like, a lot of people here, boys. People are down. And I'm like, shit, this is what goes on. Because I guess they're used to they go the year before me, my first year at the tournament, Jeff O'Neill was the big name. I remember that. So I guess I turned into this name, so but I'm unowned. No one even knows what's happening. And again, it's not just me. There's players on our team. So a guy comes down to the dressing room with a card. He's from the Tri-City Americans. And he was with Chico yeah. Resch. Um, and, 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 and Chico Resch. And what are you, 12 years old? I'm 13. Yeah. 13, 13. So, and they said, you know, we want you out to come out with the Tri-City Americans, basically. And uh, But it was like, come out to the Vancouver Super Series. There was a tournament. Now, I've never thrown a hit before. I'm Pee Wee. But I'm almost like I'm six foot, 180. I'm dancing around people. That's the other thing. I was huge. So... Um, they asked me to go out and play this tournament in Vancouver. So I went home all happy. My dad didn't even come to the tournament, man. Like, you know, he was coaching the Bantam team. Dad was always coaching. This particular year he was coaching the Bantam team and fine with that. Did not want to put pressure on me. And there was a lot of pressure as I went on. So I didn't really feel it, but, you know, I can see how he thought that. So I was up there. I do that. I come back with a card. I go, Dad, Tri-City want me to play with Vancouver in this Super Series. And the Vancouver Super Series was a showcase for – Northwest, USA, Canada, all that. So all kinds of teams there, mostly WHL scouts. So I see, he says, well, he takes the card and he says, you know what we're going to do? This is an opportunity to take our own team out. Like, you know, it's not like, of course, you're you're a blue chip prospect, but so is Danny Cleary. So is Kurt Walsh, who ended up going in the third round out of Buffalo. So is Dave Penny, who ended up getting four years uh, junior A scholarship. So like a bunch of us, Ended up being successful, but we went out there, and you know the way it works. I've played the national. I played the nationals in ball hockey, baseball, soccer, and ice hockey. And each time, Newfoundland or PEI play the host the first game, so the host team can win ten to one. Everybody gets a free hot dog, and those Newfoundland, <laughs> right? 
<laughs> so we come out. It's no different. We come out against Vancouver in Vancouver mm-hmm. to open the Super Series. Sun God Arena, packed, packed summertime, full. Joe Sackick's dropping the puck. Just became a, just you know, I guess became on the NHL scene. Is a star played in the Western League. Drops the puck. I'll never forget it. And another thing I'll never forget. Fast forward. It's late in the game. Puck shot hits me in the back. Goes in the net. Six to six. Five seconds left. Six to six. We tie Vancouver. I know they're not expecting that. No one's expecting it. Who are these? No one even knows who anybody on our team is. Everybody else got <laughs> each player down the list, right? Like, I mean, I can go on and on. Iggy was at the tournament. Uh, Jerome, uh, Chris Dingman, Damon Lankow, Ryan Smith, Jason Padola. I can keep going. Each team had these bona fide junior guys. That were, it's incredible. Yeah. It's crazy. And they didn't even know. So we, we didn't win a game, but we tied three. We lost a couple. We lost a great one to Northern Alberta, 6-5. They had all those players. And then the last game, we put it up against Manitoba. We put it up. We lost 10 to nothing, but said, fuck this. We're out here now. We all, I'll never forget, before the final game, before the final game, we went out and got drunk for the first time because we were players from all over the island that didn't really. Oh, I we, love it. We hated each other on the ice. We're like, and the coaches looked the other way. You know how we did it? We put Vaseline and pepper on our face, looked like stubble, but hats down over. We went out. <laughs> We went out as a team. First time I ever went out as a team. We ate, we, we got up in the morning. We ate at this place, Uncle Willie's. It was a uh, smorgasbord oh. of it was a, all day, all you can eat buffet. Buffet. Yeah. And we went and played Manitoba at five o'clock, and we just put it up right off the bat. And the, the Western League scouts loved it. We put we put it up. We, the game couldn't get finished. Like we put it up immediately after going out. We're hungover. Bats of Christian battle. Anyway. We do that. So that technically was the only tournament that I'd ever played with hitting because my dad put me up onto the Bantam team for that one. I was a 77. He put me with the 76s. Hence, we did all right. But what happened out of that, well, a bunch of us ended up getting scouted in some way or another. And then Tri-City were there. Ron Toigo, who now owns the Vancouver Giants, and Chico Resch were at the tournament. And they went, took me. And we went, and I'll never forget. I'm like, you guys don't care I got in a fight? He's like... We, we don't care. Oh, it was great. We love it. All you- We want more did of that. Did you play I, with yeah. the stubble on your face, or did you get that off? <laughs> it wasn't as big of a deal at the time. I You know, I think yeah. they were happy we went out as a team, to yeah, be honest. Yeah. So, um, and that that was it. And then they said, look, we're going to, we're going to, if you want, we're going to take you out here. And like Chico said, he goes, the draft is when you're 14 out west. If, if, we, if we're not true to our word, just go back home again. And, you know, you, you've lost nothing. So, I was because I was going to go to the Cambridge Winterhawks. But anyway... That was it. But when I got to Quinnell, I didn't realize I'd be playing junior. So that was quite quite an, an experience because, I, like I said, I played peewee. I'd, I was big, but I didn't know how to handle fighting, let alone, hitting, let alone fighting. So yeah. I had to navigate my way around that first year, but it was uh, definitely an eye-opener. And I, I loved that where I landed. My dad got a lot of shit knuckles for that. If you if you were on my side, and, and because it could have gone either way. Like, the, you know, all of a sudden yeah. there's booze in the dressing room. Let's be honest, people are smoking dope. I don't know what else they're doing. Uh, you know, there's girls, there's sexes involved. I don't know. Like people are getting laid, right? A lot of guys, I'm not <laughs> in high school. I'm not even in high school. The next youngest on the team until Sheldon Surrey came, um, who was a year older than me, but we were buddies, Bantam players. But before that, like the next oldest on the team was was first year out of high school. So I was that in tra- high school yet. Some of these guys are 20. They're three years out with a kid. Like, you know, so I, the I was playing Nintendo. I was home here egging houses for sh- and running away. Like, and now all of a sudden, I got my my stall mate Rob Rob Wells got uh, Rob Bell got a kid. Yeah, you're like, you know, like it was. <laughs> what, what now? Is this Tri City? No, no, where was no, it? They, they, I had to play. 
Tri-City brought me out there and they told me they were going to yeah. me, so I had to wait till January. But okay. is uh, up in northern BC. It's up by Prince George, technically central BC, but they call it nor- northern. Okay. And it was junior A, but it was real, 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 real tough junior A. Real tough. Yeah. Okay. So you, you go from there, you play that, and then you end up going to Tri-City that, yeah. what, 92, 93. Yeah. I was, and how was, how, how was that being out there at that age? You know, leaving Newfoundland, leaving home. Yeah. You're out there you're living with a billet family, I'm sure, right? Uh, and, and what's that like, navigating that whole thing it was as a, a young kid? My first year, that year I was just speaking of when I was 14, I, my dad and mom came out with me. And that that was good. They, I mean, but they they actually they ran out of the house. It got shit kicked. We got fucked with insurance. My dad took a leave of absence, so he was substituting out there. But Tri City did help out to give them. Yeah. I got the golden handshake, and it, it was it was nice when we were out there. They that's when I really knew. It's my dad really knew. I mean, I didn't have much to do with that, but apparently they compensated us well. Well, well, they started to see me leading a junior team, a team in scoring, right? The draft. Yeah. So I was waiting till January for them to draft me. Now, the problem was that they had to trade up. I ended up going third overall. They kind of put me in the Quinnell to hide me as much as anything. Now, to answer your question, yeah, so it was hard to navigate around. I remember that first game I played, I got like I got a guy cross-checked me in the face. I got, in a, I got in a fight, really, before I threw a hit in junior. And I was upset. I came back. I, I, the next week, I bathed my hands in hot sauce and fucking rubbed it in his face and kicked the shit out of him. He was fucking 6'4", 220. <laughs> and I lost my virginity that night. But you know what I did? I, I wanted to go home. I wanted to come back to my high school, O'Donnell, and I wanted to score six goals a game and impress everybody. And, you know, I, uh-huh. I remember I, I had, I'd undone one bra at that time. I'd had, like, three beers with buddies. Like, and that night in, in Vancouver, we went out. That was the first night I was really drunk, per se. But I wasn't ready for this. So anyway, I, I did that in Quinell. I, I, I bathed my hands in hot sauce, fucking kicked the shit out of out of a guy. And I just looked in the mirror that morning. I'm like, you can either go home or fucking sack up. And dad fucking came in and he was like, look, get, just give it a month. One month. One month, a lot can happen. If you still fucking hate it, I promise you we're on the next plane. But what I did that night that I kicked the shit out of the guy, I scored a goal as well as a flute, but I fucking scored. And the place was full to see me, man. Because like, it was like, what the fuck, a 14-year-old? They never threw a hit is out playing for the Cornell Millionaires. This doesn't make sense. But it was shit to get off the pop, man. So I beat him up and I got off. And after the game, one of the local girls was so impressed. We went to this place and it was called the Four by in the Woods. People just chuck shit in the fire and drink. You know, it's it's northern BC. We're listening to ACDC. Where all of a sudden now I'm <laughs> drinking. Guys are lighting up joints. I'm like, Where, how do I navigate around this? And a girl goes, come with me. She gives me a piece of gum and said, uh, here, come with me. That's a sex pill or something. She said, "Want some candy, little boy?" <laughs> Basically, what she said, and I banged her. Yeah, I banged her. Right. I lost my virginity that night. And the morning, I woke up and I had a big shiner, and I just lost my virginity. And I went in for like, you know, early skate, whatever. We had a game again that night, and I, I said, "I'm never going home again." I was a hockey player then. Like, I, you, you couldn't get me home with fucking a million dollars. I was like, "I'm, a, I'm a Cornell millionaire. I love it." And then, then it was all right. So my mom and dad left. Like, again, I was first-year Bantam, right? So my second-year Bantam, yeah. I went to, back to Cornell as a veteran. Weird. And a uh, 15-year-old vet in junior. And, <laughs> but it was great because the guys took me under their end. And now there was some messes on that team, right? There was. Yeah. They really took me under their wing, and they really let me tread the line. If I'd fucked up, 
if I'd done like hard drugs or said they would have fucking, it could have gone the other way though. I'm sure there's lots of teams you could go to that they were bad. For sure. But these they, guys they, they wouldn't give a shit. Exactly. When they saw, when they saw, I fought that year. I think I had 220 minutes as a 14 year old, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And I, I didn't win any of them, but they saw that I tried, man. And they really respected me for that. And I remember like, once I did that, like it was one thing to score, but scoring alone wouldn't get the respect because I'm knocking a local out of a chance. I know where I'm going. Those guys are playing because they want to go to college or, or the dub, and I'm taking a spot. I was very aware of that, right? So that first, there was a little bit of conflict there and tension. But once yeah. they saw that I wanted just to, to, to be a teammate, and that was it then. So mom and dad didn't have to come out the second year. My, and, and what the, the great thing about it is that my dad got to know Mr. Surrey, Sheldon Surrey. Surrey was also yeah. with Tri-Cities, and they didn't know what to do with him. He was 15. He was playing Bantam, and Sheldon would take penalties, but he had this unreal talent. His shot was a laser beam. He yeah, had a boomer. It was crazy. Boomer shot. So he had to he had to improve at everything else. And so Dad called Tri-Cities and convinced Tri-Cities to let Sheldon come because I needed someone close to my age. And so Sheldon was also Bantam, and we kind of we rolled through that together. So And then we went to Tri-Cities together, right? There was another uh, guy there, Ryan Marsh. Who, so it wasn't as much... It, it was more of a jump going from here to Cornell than Cornell to Tri-City. By the time I got to yeah. Tri-City, I went third overall. And Tri-City were great because they, they'd take me down. Once they drafted me, they flew me down every couple of weekends. So I was just practicing with the Tri-City Americans. And then when I was 15, I think I played a game or yeah, at least two games. So they, they, they worked me in. By the time I got to Tri-City as a 16-year-old, like regular, I'd had two years of junior in. I'd been practicing with the team for almost two years. So those nerves that might have been with some of my teammates that played say bantam in alaska weren't there it wasn't the same day i didn't have to go through that transition so that you played one game 92 93 then you come back try city 93 94 and that's your first full season yeah my first basically. game too i fought kale hulse i told everybody on the bench no uh, first game first game <laughs> first game i did the second game it was a playoffs that year i played one game of the playoffs they threw me in they were down three to nothing and kale hulse was huge lefty yeah, big boy. I, I had him in you Jersey. Know, what am I going to do here to get noticed, right? <laughs> what am I going to do? Not that I needed to get noticed, but I hated being on the bench and not contributing to the game. And I was like, everybody's going to shit a brick if I fight the fucking toughest guy. So I did. He kicked the shit out of me. But I, so I stood up, and when the refs came in, I got two in on his visor, and I fucking couldn't have been any prouder. Then they took me on. So by the time I got there at 16, and the other thing, yeah, I get there in 93, 94, and we didn't have a great team. So – which was good for me. And the guys, they, they went with... You know, ice time, ice time, ice right? Ice time, yeah. I mean, you want to as a teammate. You want to have a good team. But it was fortunate that I got a chance. I played center, left wing. I killed penalties. I was on the power play as the year went. And about January or February, they just put all their chips into the young players. And it, it was a great year for me, even though it might not look like it on paper. Was your, da- yeah, was your well, dad great. hard on you with school, though, and stuff like that? Or was he, like, all in with hockey? Um, no, school... It, I, I, he wouldn't have let me go to a place without a school. I, yeah. I, I, and I ended up getting my degree. He had that. It's funny. In uh, 2009, I got a phone call. Or maybe it was 2008 from the Habs front office anyway. I think it was Susan. Yeah, I, I won't say her last name, I suppose. But you know who it is, Knuckles. And I didn't even know anything. And, and one of them anyway, they said, you know, you only got like six months to register for school and get the rest of your <laughs> school money. I didn't even really know that that was in my contract between my agent and my dad, they must've yeah. worked something in because a lot of the schooling, I went back and 
indirectly was paid for by the Canadians by that contract I had. But he would he was always Dad wasn't really hard on me, but I would listen though. You didn't have to tell me anything twice. I was an only child and I really respected him. My grandfather too, on my mom's side, I had another influence big time influence. It was my grandfather. My, my grandfather was on the HMS bulldog that cracked the codes in the world war two, man. He lost his arm. Wow. It got blown off. You, you five, seven, one is based on it. They, they kind of Americanize it, but he was on yeah. that. And, uh, like I said, my grandfather's, uh, British, I, I, I suppose, because he was born before 52. So he was over and he started the local legion here for, for war vets. And it, it was five seconds. It, it was like five doors up from my house. Because he built the house, and then he started. The yeah. So there was always this camaraderie, and you know, I don't know. They would play their cards in the middle of the day. There were war vets that would hang out. I would argue early on, up until I was twelve or thirteen, they were more influential on my life. And I'm not saying that my, my pop was hard on me, but in the military, and there's a way of you know, I I, I didn't fuck around. You guys yeah. want me to be here? I was in awe of their stories. I'd sit down while they were playing cards and grab them beers or whatever, tell stories, maybe shoot on the net outside, but. You didn't have to tell me anything twice. So my dad was big into school and I really don't remember getting, you know, I'm not trying to boast when I say this, I have nothing to go by, but I don't remember getting anything less than a 90. I took school really, really serious. You'd never think it by the way I played or the acted off the ice, but I took mm -hmm. it serious. Mm -hmm. So Tri-City, you go there, you rip it up, 50 goals the next year, get 100 points. You end up getting drafted eighth overall yeah. in the first round by the team you love, the Montreal Canadiens. What? What was that like? Did you go the draft back then? I know when I got drafted, you didn't go. I got a letter fucking two weeks later. Yeah, yeah. You know, that was it, it was, you know. I, I think it was just kind of starting that everybody, you know, a lot of people went to the draft. And, and the draft for my year was in Edmonton. So Did you go? Yeah, because I, I, yeah. playing in the Western League, I'm still the only Newfoundlander that I know of. I think I'd know by now that played in the Western League, at least more than one game or two games. Uh, so – and a lot of my teammates, like 14 players. Again, I mentioned Surrey, uh, Damon Lankow, and three of us from Tri-City ended up... Where, where's Shelly from, though? He's, Sheldon's from Fishing Lake, really, originally, up by Cold Lake. Like, it's northern Alberta, but he, 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 his, yeah. he had been living in Edmonton for a while. Okay. So I, yeah. I would go there and spend time with him in the summers, too. So I, I knew Edmonton more so than any other big city, really. And I had some family there. And the Western League really supported me. Like, after... I don't know why, but when the story got out that I came from Newfoundland and it was well out there by the time I was 16 because I'd gone to Cornell. Like, I remember people just, I remember Wade Belak having a great fight with Wade and then we went off after and he came over. He put his arms around me. He said, fucking rights, man, coming over all the way over here from Newfoundland. There was always this level of appreciation. I, I don't know. I guess I love the Western League and at the time it was the league I wanted to go to. And I think people appreciated that. So... You know, when I went to Edmonton and there was a lot of people there to support me. And, you know, we not only that, three guys on our team, like I said, Damon Lankar, Brian Boucher, we all went in the first round. So we all we all met there and had a bit of a week of, you know, celebrating what was a long year and uh, a long ride. So and to do it together. That's the other thing. That year was so magical, but it was so it could have been so many things. I mean, it was pressurized and there was a lot of interviews and in your face. But, you know, I was eighth. Damon went fifth, Brian went 22nd. So whenever it was on me, it was on both of them. And we had each other to kind of bounce things off of and deal with it and, you know, fly down to these places. And it became a, 
a really interesting experience that's kind of in a box because once we all got drafted, we went our separate ways. We remained. See you later. Yeah, right. But it, it was a really uh, unique time. Were you expecting so that to not, go top ten? Like, was that? Um, I was okay. But I had a decent sixteen-year-old year. I had 33 points, I believe, 176 penalty minutes. Uh, with 10s not being counted, most of those were fights. The Western League, they didn't count 10-minute misconducts on your stats because there was so much chaos. So um, I didn't know, but when I went – and I was a centerman, to be honest, and I left, like you said, I, as a pure scorer, really. But it was no no joke. A guy really got a lot better, Damon Lankow, while I was out there. And he would really, – I don't even know if he was a, a blue – if he was a prospect at all, but he worked his way onto the team. He's a year older than me. We got a late year – Late, late birthday. So in our draft years, it was his third year junior, my second. And he really was a better skater. I, I know that where I went in the draft in the, in the dub, and I, I'm sure they expected me to be the first line center, but Damon was just better. And, and, and I, you know, I'm a little bit bigger. He's really feisty and I could fight bigger guys. I could get him the puck. I'm a good passer. And, you know, coming off the wall, I was much better than Damon. So by the time I was in my second year, it was just, it was a bit, I had hit on my pride, but I had to go left wing. Now, when that happened, I I don't really know. I remember maybe at the beginning of the year being rated maybe third round. I I was a prospect. Eyes were on me. I don't think people expected the stats. I mean, I went from like 16 goals to 50. Damon went from – Damon led the league in scoring. So we we helped each other. But it was a symbiotic relationship. And um, I – so as the year went on, I you know, more and more, and I I scored. And it was a lockout year too, man. So it wasn't easy to get those points because, I don't know, like Darcy Tucker, Brian McCabe, Alexander Daig was in the Quebec League, Ryan Smith in our league, Rob Niedermeyer. These guys wouldn't have been back playing, right? So it was a hard time for, for I, I think, scouts appreciated that we did that. Kamloops was in our division, and they won three out of five Memorial Cups. Two of my major years in junior, they won back-to-back, 16-17. They won the Memorial Cup. Now, they're in our division. So good, bad from the point of view that we can't get by them, but good from the point of view that everybody's coming out to see them play. So we're on display every second night, right? I'm in the best division I could possibly be in. So all of that, all of that, and and hearing the scouts after, and I knew what was big. I I got it at the the end of the game. If it got to 10 minutes left in the game, I'd hope I'd have my point or two, but I would always grab somebody. It was just that time, and I didn't mind taking a punch. And there was always a reason. Someone said something in the paper. Someone sprayed the goalie. Or challenge the bench. There was always a reason. So fights were plentiful. And I knew that, you know, shortly after, two years later, my, my first game would end up being against Eric Lindros in the Legion of Doom. That's what was big. So I knew that I got to go out there. And if I play with hard and determination, which wasn't hard with a bunch of real good friends, it helps if the, your teammates are your friends, right? And you actually care. About yeah. them. And that was the case. I loved my teammates. I'm an only child. I'd been out there on my own now for three years with some of them like Sheldon. And they were, you know, brothers to me. So it just all was almost subconscious. It couldn't have gone any better in my draft year. Um, so those, you get drafted eight. Yeah. You get drafted eighth overall Yeah, by the Habs. Did you know the scout who watched you most for Montreal out there? I, Did you know who it was? Yeah, I do now. And Who, who was it? Pierre Mondu. Okay, so Mondu. Now, I'm going to tell you, and Serge drafted you, right? Yeah, he did, yeah. Serge survived. And I'm going to tell you. Serge drafted you thinking you were going to be just like Knuckles. I'm going to tell you right now. And I talked to him about this, Serge. Wow. And that's what he was – because that's what like I could play halfway decent and I would fight, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's what they were expecting from you. Well, it's funny because when they talked to me afterwards, when they asked me, I'm not – honestly, Knuckles, because I'm on your podcast, I'm not just saying this. It's not lip service. 
I've got no, I, even I, in my book. I got a Canadian's jersey on, but on the back is nylon. Like I was really uh, two players off your team, Knuckles, that I really liked that weren't the main names on the team. And no offense to you there, but it was you and it was Bobby Smith. I thought Bobby Smith could, mm-hmm. watching him tip pucks in in front of the net, but he was he, he really wasn't one of the main names that you would hear on the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, but in my mind, you guys, it was just, it was the most identifiable to my game. Right, I'm watching. You. Yeah, Bobby Smith made no bones about it. He was. It's not like he would take it and go around everybody, but he went to those areas no. in front that were important in the Western League for me to go to. You were the same. You you were you were like a, you know, like my dad used to say, right? And just watching you and you know, you would go crazy. I mean, a couple crazy brawls and stories. <laughs> yeah, every. But he would say, Terry, when I'm coaching, I'd rather get the horse back into the burn than a horse that won't leave at all. Right? That I can't get out of yeah. the fucking burn. And <laughs> I always. Took that, you know, I, I love that quote because and now after all these years, my favorite teammates in whatever I was doing are that kind of way. And I, I'm not just Kenya Knuckles. I knew your stats because I, I watched at the time. You were one of my favorite players. So it's no fluke that he said that. I remember Jacques Demers saying that too. He he directly compared me to you after the draft. Yeah, well, so you go to Habs and all right, you're leaving Tri-City now. No more junior coming to Montreal, the big city. You go to the draft and, you know, you you've you know, you wrote the book and, you know, I think you were a little harsh on yourself. Uh, and I, I guess you could say you were honest, but you know, calling yourself a first round bust. I mean, just to play one game in the NHL. And I always say this. I don't care who you are. You play one fucking game in the NHL. It's such an accomplishment. One fucking game. <laughs> and, and, and listen, I, I'm grateful I had a great career, but I often talk to people and they're like, Tim sometimes said it. Oh, I only played a few games. I only, uh, but John Scott, same thing. It, like, fuck, you make it there, you make it there. It doesn't matter how many yeah. games you played or what or what you won. Just to get there is such a fucking accomplishment. I think often people, you know, they, they downplay it. Like, uh. So anyway, I just think it's incredible what you did in, in, going where you went, leaving Newfoundland and going all the way across the country and living on your own at a young age. It's incredible. But so that getting drafted, the expectations on you coming into Montreal. Now, this is a whole different thing. Expectations in BC playing fucking juniors, one thing, but coming here. what What the fuck was that like? It was wild. To be honest with you, I didn't mind that part of it. And the people that drafted me, now you got to realize Serge Savard and Jacques Demers drafted me just a few months later after Patrick Waugh got upset, they got fired. Yeah. Right? yeah. So my memory of what they first thought of me only exists within that camp. And when I went yeah. to that first camp, they were great. And I quickly realized, you know, this was a different level. You get off the plane, there's, there's reporters, there's a lot of questions. Uh, you know, everywhere you go, people recognize you even before the internet. You know, it's a Montreal Canadiens. It's not the Nashville Predators. No, no offense to anybody down there, but you know, there's this is a different level. I'm stopping in to Rubens for a smoked meat sandwich, and people are asking me for my autograph and what I think I'm going to do, and do I think I'm this good? And I'm going, okay, this is different level. <laughs> so I get to the rink, and I remember, I remember you can't like, I just would think about it. I can't make myself score. I know, I know, I'm drafted because that's part of it. But I can definitely go out and go 100% and hit everything that moves and maybe get in a, get in a tilt. And if, if I just think about those things, maybe the goals will come. So 
And that was always, I, I, I liked that for that reason. Like a fight to me, it didn't just serve a purpose of momentum within a game. It often made me relax a little bit because at least I've done something. And yeah. I like to show a coach or GM or whoever got faith in me that I, I don't like, like I'm going to do something here. I'm going to do something. And if we need a fight, I want you to know that I'm going to do that. I don't care who it is. So I went through and I, I really had that kind of a camp. It was okay scoring wise, but I did whatever I could and I tried really hard. So Demers and Demers actually came to me towards the end of that camp. And he said, look, I think it's a little premature, but you've played well enough to make the team. He said, you're 18, you're going to go back to junior. But he said, look, I'm going to, I'm going to save it because our last two exhibition games are in Montreal Forum and in Maple Leaf Gardens. And I know you're a bit of a historian and both those rinks are going to be uh, torn down soon. I told him, I mean, they knew I was, I mean, I used to go to the game there. My first game um, at camp, I was in, in inner squad. I mean, I would go five hours early just to walk around the and see the walls and like see where Rocket Richard got dressed. And like, I mean, so they knew that I was into that. So anyway, he gave me a couple games. He goes, you, you can either miss your, you can either go back to junior or miss your home opener in the first game in Spokane and play this Friday and Saturday with us. So I was like, sure. So he, he, I played um, the last two exhibition games, and, and I know what they meant by that because it was in the actual ranks and it was full and the player, stars were playing. So they really wanted to measure me as much, see if I wanted to do it, and, and reward me for a good camp. So I did. I, I fucking I fought Steve Leach, and um, and beat him right in front of the Canadians bench, and then I scored. And then the next night, uh, they played me in Toronto, and I fought Ty Domi. And so when I was getting on that plane to go back to junior, I thought I'd left things in. It couldn't have been any better. I played two games, two fights. One of them was Ty Domi, one of the toughest in the league. And I did okay for an 18-year-old that didn't know how to throw left. And, uh, yeah. well, I, you know, I went back, and it was I was thrilled with, with where things were at that particular point. So you, you – Get on the Habs, you play a few games, you end up, uh, you and Freddie at the beginning, right? Yeah, well, 96 uh, 97 was a weird year. I was, I, yeah. so the year I just explained, I did go back to junior. And then in 96 97, Mario Tremblay came in, Reggie was there. And yeah. they, they're, they said, you know, we'd rather you practice here. We can't send you to the American League. That's what we'd love to do. But in junior, it's just going to be people trying to prove themselves and you're, and, and, you know, your team is in last place. So they were like, maybe you can get traded at the deadline, which was like in February, but you'll practice with us all year. So when I, at 96, 97, I was 19, I played four games with the Habs, but I was there from like June until February. Like I was there a long time. Yeah. And so. So yeah. do you think, um, do you think your career would have been longer in Montreal and longer in the NHL if Serge Savard never got fired in Demers that year? Um, that's a great question. And I don't know if anybody recently has even asked me that. I think yes. Because that, Terry, because that new, like, come on, Rajon is I love him. But Rajon just wasn't the hockey guy that Serge was. Yeah. Serge was a great manager of people. He knew talent. He knew how to work. Yeah, he he knew how to deal with players, and I think your whole career could have been totally different if he did not get fired by Mister Corey. Yeah, God. I did feel more protected with those guys, and you know when I went back and I was their pick, you know I, I was talking to them on the phone. I had a lot of interaction. I felt like I, I felt like 
I was just ready to break through and, and I had no reason not to feel like that now, which isn't, you know, I'll get into it in a minute because when I ran into Michelle Terry and when I finally could go into the AHL, that was different. I got nothing. I, I went to a game with Reggie last month. He got me alumni tape. Like I got nothing against yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. I think he made. No, I hear you. I, I hear you. I got nothing against him either. I would have played me, but he didn't, but I don't hold it against him. It's a hockey decision. It's tough to sit here and go, but you know, time, time passes. You got to take it on the chin. Like, you know, that happened. And if he had one knock on me, Reggie, he would tell you it was skating and I did need to improve that. Now, they didn't make the playoffs and I was watching guys like Darcy Tucker and my friends, my room, Craig Conroy, Valerie Burray, Brad Brown, Aaron Ashram, they all go to other teams and they all seem to be doing well. I was rookie of the year, like so I'm going in, in the A, I mean. And yeah. so, you know, again, I'm not, I, I, I wouldn't, I would have played me, but I, it, it's nothing against Reggie at all. I, I totally understand where he was coming from. No, it was on a two. Yeah, it's not for that though. Yeah. I was just curious if you, you know, with Surge, if you thought, and I happen to think it would have gone yeah. to a different trajectory, only because I know Surge so well, and I know yeah. how he he is with hockey players. He fucking knows how to handle them. He knows how to deal with them. And and Christ, there was so many times I seen guys have issues or where some GMs would just fucking get rid of you or see you later. He fucking had his finger on the pulse. And that's why I, he you know. Knuckles. And, and not only that, there was a blueprint. Like they talked to me and there was like, okay, come in. We're going to get you these two exhibition games when you're 18. When you're 19, you might have a chance. By the time you're 20, you're right. You're going to be rolling. And, and this is what we want. And we and then they picked Aaron Asham. And for a while there, they said, you know, um, that the plan, the plan for me, I remember Serge saying it. He goes, you're, you're a third liner now. He said, we can hopefully we get up, you get you up there and bump you up and we'll see where your skill takes you. But he said, like, right now, you're there. Like he said, you and Darcy Tucker play together. And they said, and then when Aaron Asham came in, it was like, it was thought that it was me, Asham Tucker. I remember that. Just, what an awesome line. Yeah, it would have been like, great. Come on. I, I, that's what I mean with, 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 with Serge. I felt protected. I, it's not like Reggie ever said, go fuck yourself, but yeah. months would go by. And I was like, did they even know who I am? You know? Yeah. Well, I was just going to yeah. say, you call the, the, the whole, you know, bust or first round. I mean, you're putting up the points in the AHL and you're just like, yeah. not getting, I was like, why aren't you getting called up eighth overall? I don't know. It, I don't see the bust. It, it, honestly, you know? it's a weird thing. If you look and, and so it, what ends up happening there, you see, I was a bit of a hothead, but I, you know, I, I, I by that, I mean, with Michelle Terrian. But people think because of my personality, it was fiery. No, it was never like that. I, I, I didn't like miss curfew. I went out a lot with the boys. I, I, and I, wasn't, yeah. I wasn't a guy to come in and complain. I was I was happy. That year I was 19, I played four games. People were like, oh, man. Like, you know, I think four or five, I sat on the bench and just was the grocery stick. But people would say, like, that's a bad thing. I didn't care. I, I, I realized I was being groomed. But when I got to Fredericton, Michelle Tyrion took the heart and soul. Out. Now, again, I want to preface this by saying – I completely forgive him. He, he was a rookie coach. I was a rookie player. When I actually talked to Michelle Therrien about things unrelated to hockey, he was a completely normal guy that I think for him, it was a bit of an act too. It was tactic. But I, I'll tell you an example. I go there and now the year before again, 96, 97, I'm on the Canadians, play four games. I go back to junior. I do well in Red Deer. I was coming off a concussion. I got over it. But in Red Deer, I didn't get in any fights because, you know, they were like, okay, you had a bit of a concussion. Like, that's what part of the reason I went to Red Deer because they were stacked with tough guys. 
So I played three rounds of playoffs and I set the record. I had 18 goals in 16 games. It, it was the three round record. And I think it was Sackick that I broke. And um, uh, it, it was just, everything was going right. I had every reason to think. 24 points in 16 yeah. games. And, I mean, please. Right? Yeah. Wow. And that was the playoffs. I think in the regular season, I had 35 points in 15 games. It's 16 regular seasons. <laughs> and it was like everything was going in. So, again, I'm like, well, the only reason I was even not sent down this year is because I, I couldn't go to the A. I did what they wanted me to in the in the NHL. And I did learn a lot in the NHL practicing that year. And I went back and I fucking ripped it up. So I thought there was a chance that I was going to come in. But now I get it. There was guys that, I don't know, someone who was in my position, Jonas Hoagland, Patrick Poulin, they're on one ways. I get it now. But when, yeah. when I got sent down... And I did. I mean, I couldn't hurt from a year in the A, but Mike, so I call him Mike. Michelle takes calls me in. I'm not playing much the first little bit. Now I feel far removed. And there's no communication going on. And I could have done this. Yeah. I guess I could have picked up the phone and called Reggie or even gone in Mike's office. But he calls me in like yeah. six or seven games in for a meeting. So I go in, and he's sitting behind a desk. And he always had his seat like a few inches elevated than yours, like it was always yeah, Napoleon oh, yeah. Bonaparte. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like some go like, figure. Yeah, yeah. He just had some kind of. He would want to have mental dominance at all times. Maybe a form of insecurity. I don't really know, man. But at the time, and I, I guess I didn't. I could have dealt with it better. But I went in, and so he just sat me down, and I'm like 15 feet away in this small little chair, and he's looking at me, and he lights up a dart. And he starts smoking it, and I'm like, "What am I going to say?" And I, I open because he's nervous. Yeah, I'm nervous as fuck, man. Like, <laughs> so I'm going to speak, and then I say, "No, I'm not going to speak." So then he just keeps smoking. So now I'm like, "What does he want?" And I'm starting to get angry because I'm like, "This is a fucking." He's just wait. He's gonna. He's just gonna let this go and not say anything. So I just stare right into his eyes, like <laughs> right into his eyes, which is so <laughs> awkward. But now. He's smoking, and I'm looking directly into his eyes like it's a fucking uh, Sergio Leone movie. And I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just staring. Like, anyway, he smokes it down to the butt, looks away, he goes, get the fuck out of my office. I was like, whoa, get the fuck out of my really? office. And I'm like, what? And I came out. Now, some guys on our team had already played for him in Granby and Junior. I think uh, – uh, Francis Bouillon, uh, Marc Bocage, maybe Sylvain Blouin. There was a few in the room. And so they were like, no, no, sometimes he does that. Don't worry. I'm like, don't worry. What the fuck are you talking about? I want to put don't them in I don't want to have anxiety about this. What the fuck is this guy doing? Next game, plays me a lot. Goal, three assists. My first big game in pro. I kid you not. I can see it now. I come in after. He goes, Terry, Terry. Calls me in. Calls my parents in front of me from his phone. Now I'm like, this is just a, a memory. It's over. <laughs> Yeah, Terry's going to be all right, right? My dad's pretty pumped. My mom, hang up the phone. Next game, the very next game, my first shift is with 30 seconds left. And he taps me and says, go fight Jeff Weir. Like I don't know when to fight, first of all. And Jeff Weir is a big guy, but he doesn't want to fight me. He's terrified. Uh, and, and you know, and I had to go out there and do it. Sorry, Jeff, I, or I'm coming. And I fucking kicked the shit out of him. And, and then I was like, what, what am I doing? And it was just Mike wanting his mental dominance, right? The next game, I remember yeah. taking my helmet. I didn't know how to deal with this. Again, I should have just gone in and spoke with him. So it's as much me. But I took my helmet and I fucking threw it off the glass. I see, he told me to fight again. I see, you think I don't know when to fight? Like, you think that I really don't know it? Yeah, and that sucks. Then I found out that he wasn't even a big fighter. For the oh. No, <laughs> that's how it always listen, is. Listen, <laughs> this is what I'm listen, I, listen, Terry. 
fucking same thing. Yeah, uh, I heard this fucking tough guy thing. I don't even remember him at training camp, but he played in Longay. Yeah. Played Chicoutimi, then Longay. He was with the Rampots, too, in junior. And then he came to Montreal's training camp. He ended up, that was 83, 84. I'm like, this guy was a fucking tough guy. Where the fuck was he in training camp when I was yeah. there? <laughs> yeah, hello? I, I Honestly, I would have, believe me, I would have ran into him. Because every fucking training camp, I had to fight someone. Yeah, you, you would have known. He certainly didn't show up to the fucking dance. I so. found that out. That sucks. It was disheartening. I'm like the guy that's trying to make me. Mm. And, you know, I had all this energy to give and, and passion, and I'd never run into this. The Western League, my coaches, I could always smooth it out by going out and trying hard, you know? Like, I mean, of course, uh, um, we were all a bit rough around the edges. There was never anything. I was never arrested or anything bad. There was, I mean, I guess a couple times, like, I don't know, half hour late for curfew. All things that go out, make a few hits, fight Wade Belak, and we're good. Right? We're good. Yeah. Like, yeah. but it was just, it was weird. The whole year went by and it was always like, I remember getting benched for celebrating a goal. And I was just like, now I got to think. So I was on the ice trying to navigate around all these fucking crazy fucking tough guys. It was a tough division. And, you know, my first year as a Canadians pick playing, playing uh, a, a role on, on their, one of their teams and, and yeah. to navigate. But the thing is, when I say this, People think that, well, fuck, Tyrion, when I, when I say Michelle Tyrion, because that's the thing, I have every memory of Montreal is fantastic. I wish I'd played longer, but with Reggie and them, you see what I mean? It was just a decision. I don't hold yeah. it again. But down there, I felt like it was honestly, like looking back, I don't want to be a wuss and say like mental abuse because I, I just shouldn't. No, not a wuss. No, I should have dealt with it in a different way, though. I could have gone in, but that was it. I fucked. Well, you're I, fucking I know. still a young kid. This is you know? great what like you're it. saying because I played for Mike Keenan and he did fucking similar shit. Okay. And it's like sure. you're fucking like it's almost like you lose trust. You're like, I don't know what happens if, if, if I score a hat trick today, I'm gonna I don't know. I might be benched tomorrow. I don't know. Oh yeah, and then you, like, the you can't get up about anything. Yeah, yeah. So the whole year you're on pins and needles and I'm like yeah. and like three quarters of the way through, I remember looking at my teammate uh Matt Higgins and he's like, But Terry, that's what he wants. He wants you like that. Like that that that's that's it. And not yeah. only that, Matt goes like, I don't like it. And, and yeah, and we're at the end of the year and I, I remember him saying this to me. And he said, not only that, you just had a great year. So it wasn't like I was rookie of the year down there. That year I had 21 yeah. goals. Crazy. Uh, 256 minutes. I had 34 fights. Yeah. It's not like he couldn't. I just wish he'd drum that up in a different way. If Mike had called me in and just been honest, I don't mind getting shit on. My coaches in the yeah. Western League, fuck, man, they were super critical. Cracked the whip, but it was all logic. It was on the surface, right? This is what you need to fucking do. You better do it. But with Mike, I didn't know. It, it, you yeah. Know, He's uh, calling my parents. Hey, the next minute, Mike. <laughs> yeah. I heard he was that way with Subban too, uh, and yeah. it, it's funny. The story I heard about in junior, I, in pretty good information, is he was coaching junior, and the team sucked. They were in the playoffs or something. They stopped at a Saint Hubert on the way home after the game. They were heading back on the bus, and they brought all the food on the bus to get it on there. And he had it up the front of the bus and he got driving. He didn't let anybody come up and get food yet. It sat there. He stopped at the next rest area and fucking got up. He stood up, got up, grabbed the fucking food and put it all in the fucking trash and then drove home. Yeah. That's the story I heard. Now, I mean, really? I'll, I'll, you fucking I'll, did that? It's like, why? I know. I'm, <laughs> yeah, what? like well, what? punishment. First of all. I don't know. Yeah, he, uh, that doesn't surprise me one bit. Um, first of all, he would smoke a lot on the bus, not just like, the, like <laughs> yeah. smoke a lot. So 
Freddie to St. John is like an hour and change. Uh, and I remember him like, and we would have meetings. Like, I'm like, go to Martin Gendron was the captain. So Ben Bruin played for him. I'm like, how long are we going to take this? Like, he, he's just being an asshole now. That's just being ignorant, right? Okay, you might say he's trying to get into our kitchen. I think he's ignorant. He's enjoying a cigarette because he doesn't want to fucking can't wait till we stop. I think he's just being a punk. Right. So anyway, all that goes on. These two, The next year, I, that's that was the thing. The next year, I couldn't understand when I got sent down. But I'm down there, and I'm playing with Asham in the minors. So it was already he's my best friend in hockey. So And Scott King. So we have a decent year. I, I believe 50, 55 games. I think I had 40-something points. I actually... Per capita, probably a little bit. 43 points. Yeah, there you go. You had. We're yeah. down there. Like, I don't know why, if you look up, that we didn't get up more. But anyway, um, and at the it was the end of that season. Okay, so we were playing St. John, Flames in the playoffs. And they had a player, Eric Sharon. Eric Sharon ended up playing a little bit in the NHL. He was a world junior before that. He was a big left-handed shot defenseman and a, a, a good guy. He was their captain by, by all accounts. He's a good guy. And a good player. But he had missed maybe three months with a kidney problem. I can't remember what it was, yeah. but it was a kidney problem. So we, we played them. It was, say, game, I don't know, one of the games in the playoffs in the first round that we played against St. John. And first game in St. John. And he'd been waiting three or four months to come back. So when he skates around in warm-up, the place is going mad. It's like Eric Sharon night. Like people are, you know, it's unreal that he's back playing again. You know, our captain's here. Anyway, during the anthem, Tyrion comes down in my ear and says, fight him for a shift. And I'm going, oh, Whoa. fuck off. I hate that. Yeah, and I'm going, and he fuck goes, it'll, it'll take all the wind out of their sail. And I'm going, he's being up. And I go, Mike, I, I'm going to be the biggest asshole. And that's not me. I'll, I'll fight. Fucking Rocky Thompson was playing there. I'll fight him now. Yeah. I'll fight him right now. Fucking hands behind my, behind my back if you want. <laughs> but I'm not fighting Eric, who just lost 50 pounds, man, and, you know, I don't know, he's yeah. probably 185, played normally. At Go ragdoll him, right? Yeah. Right. And all these people are here to see him. He overcame a fucking disease or whatever he did. And, you know, I'm not going to go do that. Anyway, he got so in my kitchen, I did do it. And I went on the ice and I grabbed him in the reps camp. I remember, I remember saying, like, go down or whatever it was. I, I, I was livid. I came in the room after, guys. I took off my shit. And I threw it. I said, no more. And, you know, in between these stories, there's a lot of other tension going on. Yeah. I said, no more. And, I, you know, they say, don't don't throw your jersey on the ground. It was so traumatizing. Yeah. I threw my jersey on the ground, and I walked on the Canadian's crest. And I was like, what am I doing? I'm a super Habs fan. Five years ago, you would fucking tell me this. Like, you know, I was so fucking upset. But I acted impulsively. Reggie called me. Because the summertime came, uh, and I said, no, I'm not going back. Trade me. And now I'm seeing, like, Darcy Tucker, who got traded. Now he's becoming a star. He's not just in the league. He was my roommate. Yeah. He's becoming a star. Yeah. Um, you know, Asham goes and, and just comes into his own. Uh, all these, like I said, Brad Brown, Valerie Bure, Craig Conroy, Jim Campbell. They're all playing. I'm, I'm in, I started in Freddie with them. I've had a good couple of years there. So I just said no, and I just didn't have it. I remember Reggie calling. I said, it's not you. I promise you it's not you. I really appreciate it. He said, you're going to be in Quebec, which he thought this was a good thing, Reggie. He said, you're going to be in Quebec, but you're going to be our first call-up. Now, they had a record number of injuries, so I would have. But I even said to Reggie, I go, you're saying this before camp even starts. So I said, you know, I, I, I'm down there, and I just don't feel I'm appreciated, and I don't feel it from you, Mr. Hool. I really don't like Michelle Therrien, but I didn't tell him any stories. I didn't want to. Rant. Uh, I didn't want to talk out of school. 
Yeah. But that's what that's, that, that's, that's fucking rat yeah. shit. Uh, a coach who does that's a I know, now I know. I, I a, doing, yeah, you know. I was young and I was trying to live by some code that didn't exist. But yeah. You know, and, and a lot of coach like you just said, Tim, Keenan, you know, Babcock. I hear a lot of coaches were like that. So yeah. I wonder if Mike was just trying because sometimes like there was a side of me that almost felt bad for him. I remember him calling me to the front of the bus and he he knew I liked the Beatles. So he, 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 there was an article in the paper. I think maybe they were releasing the anthology or something. And he goes, oh, I yeah. the beat. He, he called Paul McCartney, Paul McCarthy. So I knew he didn't know them much, but he was just trying to get a conversation going. He was awkward about it. I think in the end, he was yeah. socially awkward. And you know, yeah. that's maybe why he smoked so much and why he was so threatening. But when you read, like, there was a couple times that I was like, you know, he's just trying to be my friend in this nerdy way. And, but it just never worked. And I just wanted out. Uh, I ended up, Terry. Like, that's what happened. I went to Dallas and I was down there and fucking busted my ankle, high ankle sprain. And I had a, and that case. was it. I was like, fuck. But you know, my time in Montreal was fucking awesome. And like you said, Knuckles, I, I called a book that tales of a first round, nothing, I guess my favorite book growing up was tales of a fourth grade, nothing. And it was about a kid that was kind of misunderstood. That's where that yeah. came from. And I'm like, everybody else is saying it anyway. And I'd rather just tell yeah. the story myself, you know, but I know. What well, well, you did. But anyway, um, you know, I, I couldn't agree more with the coaching thing. I always said if I had a coach that told me to go fight, I'd tell him to go fuck himself. Yeah. I grab him by the fucking tie and say, I you should, go do I it. <laughs> now, I, I had one time Jean Perron made the inference in a, in a meeting in the room in Hartford. Uh, he went around the room and ripped on everybody, and he got to me. He said, when's the last time you had a fight? I mean, what the fuck do you know about <laughs> in front of everybody? And, and he certainly didn't like that, and that's when I got traded. It cost me, but I stayed true to myself, and that for me was bigger than, you know, fucking doing what shithead told me to do. I fucking hate guys to do that. When I coached in the East Coast Hockey League, I had a couple of tough guys. I never, ever fucking tapped them. Lemire, the best coach, he would take me off the ice in situations at home when they put someone out against me, right? Yeah. And I'm there, what are you fucking doing? Leave me out there. And he said, no, 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 you fight too much. And, you know, he, he said, I know you're going to do it when you do it. I'm never going to tell you. But sometime I, I yeah. just I don't want you to. And he had respect for me. It was a, he was the best coach I ever he had. He is. So, That's the thing. No respect. That's the thing. It's yeah. the no respect. I'm like, you know, I can All sit right. here in my, in my head as a player and know that I can go out there and do something. And I might even think I can do it better than that guy that's on the power play. But really, it's subjective. It's my opinion. I got to work towards that. But when you start coming down and telling me when to do my job yeah. like that, like, I know when to go out there and drop my gloves and fight a person, you fucking idiot. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. and it's just like, and I never gave him any reason not to think It's that. degrading. I had it's degrading. fights that year. I mean, yeah. What, yeah. was my timing off? Like, I mean, every fucking game, every second game. But anyway. It's degrading. I, hey, it, listen. It's degrading. We can talk. No, I, I fucking talk. Yeah, this is amazing. I used to like, you know, there's we, times I wish death on Keenan. <laughs> and then like two days later, I'd be like, ah, I kind of like the guy. Like he was like, yeah, I didn't know what the it fuck was, to it do. It was something know? of that era, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I guess they they thought maybe that was the best way to. And I was like 34. <laughs> like I was like the last year of my career. I was like, I thought I'm a veteran guy here. I didn't know what the fuck to do. Man. <laughs> <laughs> like, nuts. Oh, that's, a, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> like we could go on another fucking three hours talking about hockey, but we definitely have to 
move on to what's going on now in your life. Now, listen, you played senior hockey afterwards, Allen Cup, all that. You you, you just love hockey. You yeah. fucking love hockey. Yeah. You have fun playing hockey. I know that. I can see it. When we played them alumni games, you were fucking having fun. You love, love hockey. Love it. And, and that's a great thing. Um, so you retire from the game. You get away from the game. And how – I know you, you you did stand-up comedy once, right? Yeah. You did that for a little bit. You did, not a fucking afraid to try anything, which yep. I love. And now here you are. Um, you, you, you got on the Republican Doyle. There you did some small roles. And now, look, Letterkenny, fucking Shorzy. Like, <laughs> fuck, you everywhere. It's so awesome. I, I think it's so great to see. How did you catch that fucking acting bug? Well, you know, timing is very important. And while I guess the big publicized thing with Montreal and, you know, um, my career, I guess, for lack of a, it was always interesting as a roller coaster ride. But you could argue that maybe the timing didn't work in my advantage in a couple of those situations. But when it comes to acting, the timing it, two or three times has been lightning in a bottle. It's like a lottery winner. The only reason I even started working, I, I, start, I was crew for five years. My buddy, Alan Hocko played the lead character and he wrote and he produced Republic of Doyle, which was big here in Canada from about 2010 to 2014 or 15 and all over the world, really. I mean, you can still get reruns and it's popular here and there and platforms all over. So most successful show that's ever been in Newfoundland at that point. So I really, honestly, I graduated. I went to school. I didn't know what I was going to do. My degree ended up being in folklore and English. Now I was writing that book. So the, the first one, Tales of a First Round Nothing. So folklore is like storytelling. I didn't even realize when I went in to see the academic advisor, I'm like, how many courses do I need? She said, well, you need 40. You've got 43. <laughs> but I was just taking them haphazardly. I didn't really know. I was just taking what I like. Why would I do chemistry when I can do the history of popular music? Right. So the folklore yeah. is like because I was taking these courses. Like I took a full course on singer songwriters, um, superstitions in sports. Right. Those are actual subjects in folklore. And then English right? The grammar and everything. I, 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 so that was helping me with, you know, the actual writing of the book. So both, I think, subconsciously is while I was writing a book is why I got a folklore degree. And you can go on and be a teacher. And I knew that that's probably something I wanted to do. So, but once I got my BA and I got accepted for education, it's a two-year program and I need to start putting money on the table. I made some bad investments and had, uh, like I said, my buddy died in a car accident, BJ Young, and I was raising his son. And Penny Lane had just come onto the scene accidentally, but she was there. So I needed to make some money. So Hawko told me, like, we were at this hockey tournament, and he said, you know, I got that show, which was just starting. But he said, you know, if I I can get you a job on set, but he said, you know, it's going to be jump how high. You're going to swallow your pride. And sometimes it's like parking cars in the morning. It's cleaning the fucking toilets. Like, it's whatever. But it's going to be pretty lucrative and and it's hard work while you're doing it. And it is man locations, production assistant on set. I did that for four full years, parts of a fifth hard work, 15 hours, at least some, sometimes 18, but, but a good paycheck good paycheck and got me in a union on, mm -hmm. on, the, on the film set. And, and right around that time, Newfoundland, which we kind of fucked ourselves. Well, I shouldn't say ourselves, but there were, for many reasons, we lost the fishery in the nineties. So we've been looking for reasons. Yeah. Tourism is a big thing now and film so once once they had a studio built for that then we gave a tax credit and then 
they built a few studios. Now we get a few shows going on here now to this point. So it was a good timing. But to go back, I'm I'm on set. I'm a crew. So a couple times, the stunt guy's there, James Binkley. And I'm going, Binks, I fought Domi at center ice. I, I can't fucking do a stunt. These people coming in. Like, <laughs> so I was in his ear. And he used to come over and go, Terry, it's timing. Not, not so much balls. It's timing. <laughs> and so anyway, I got in there, though. One time, a flight didn't get in. And one of these guys that was going to get, like, he was going to play Hako, my buddy. And the, 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 the gig was car comes and he, and he kind of rolls over the car. So put some padding on, jump up, roll over the hood, roll off the back of the car. Kind of looks harder than it is, but it was a stunt. So I did it. I got on there. And then they had me in another scene uh, later in the year in a pool scene. I broke a pool cue over a guy's back. So now I've done a couple stunts. And... I'm kind of getting my foot in the door, but that was more bucket list, I think, than everybody. How about when you get your throat cut? But, but this is what happens now. So <laughs> oh, <yeah>. the same <laughs> show, the show ends, okay? Republic of Doyle. Now, the same production crew, it's Take the Shot Productions, hockey guys, Take the Shot. And oh. they bring Frontier comes over, and that's got Jason Momoa. Now, in between, so Doyle ends in, say, May, Frontier's starting in October. So the summer. We do a movie here called Maudie. Ethan Hawke is in it. So I'm crew for Maudie. Again, jump how high. But the thing is, I'm kind of, without getting into a huge, make the story longer, I'm almost, I'm almost working directly. Jumping too high? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Jumping too high? Yeah, 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 yeah. So we go out. I'm with Ethan Hawke in the summertime again this is just in between because it's one little movie and now we're going on to do frontier but as i'm talking to him he used to go to games and i remember meeting him at bonanote because Kiefer sutherland went to a lot of games he's yeah. Kiefer's buddy and i'm like i had a book there to my book had just come out and i fucking i could have got fired for this because but i i sent him over i went in the green room and threw a, a book on his seat and anyway he ends up so he comes to me we're in trinity out by clarenville where you were and yeah there's no, and I was crew that had to get everything ready in the morning, like the lowest form of crew. Like I'm, I'm the fucking guy that got to set shit up in the morning before anybody else is even up. But in this small little community, there's no Wi-Fi and everything. And I need to be there and the actors need to be there because they're going on first. So I'm there with the actors. So I'm, I'm sitting on this side of a cliff, I swear to God. And it's the end of a long, long day. And it's uh, maybe September, maybe early October, but it's really hot out. I remember it's real late in the year, but it's hot. And I'm sitting there and I got a bottle of Jack and I got half a joint and I'm fucking, I'm drinking and I'm looking at the sun go down and wouldn't you know it, I hear footsteps behind me and it's Ethan Hawke and he sits right here and I get talking with him and he goes, I read your book and I said, fine. He goes, well, there's no Wi-Fi here. I can't talk to anybody. And he goes, you, you gave it to me. And so it was good timing. But he said, you know, you should get involved. You can clearly write. You're doing this. You're, you're working hard down there. I got respect for that. But he goes, you know, you, you've, you've gone through a lot and you know, that's usually acting. I bet you could do a lot of acting without even really trying because you've been through so much. I didn't know what the fuck he was talking about, but I'm like, sure. I took him out for some beers on George Street when we got back. One night with him, it's not like I'm his best buddy, but we had a great night. And he goes, I really recommend it. He made a call. And then I made a call to the people that were auditioning for Frontier. And I got in. I shouldn't have been allowed because I'm not in the union. But I went in to do the audition for Frontier. Now, this is the show that Momoa's going to come over and be in. It's... um Loosely, loosely, loosely based on the first slash everything trade of the late 1700s when the British redcoats are coming over. And, you know, it's chaos over here. Uh, European settlers have just come over. There's indigenous. There's fight for territory. It's all that story around the Hudson's Bay, right? So 
I'm going and I, I, I auditioned for a British cook and I'm fucking horrible. I'm horrible. <laughs> but there's a camera there. And then there's Daniel Irvine, who's the casting director, and the Paul Wilson, and he's the guy I'm 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 reading with. He's my read partner. But I'm not think the camera I'm thinking is just recording me. But the thing is, it's going straight back, and they're looking at it live. I understand it, if not just a few second delay in Hollywood. The the producers actually are out in L.A. right because it was take the shot, but it, they teamed with Momoa's group, so this was like, yeah. this was the biggest thing that we've ever had come here. So anyway, I take my tooth out to take a sip of coffee and do a second crack at the shitty fucking job I did at the British Cook. Three pages of like lines of it. I, I just, I, I just wasn't good. So I, I'm taking it out, and she goes, "Wait, right?" And then I guess Brad Payton came through, who was the director, the director who lives in Hollywood now. Now think of this: he lives in Hollywood. He's he left left at 18 years old. Now he's probably 40 at this point, 45. He is from Gander. That year, I'm playing for the Gander Flyers, and I just got Aaron Asherman to play. And he's, in the <laughs> so he's like, what? And he goes, well, she spoke through him. Like, why did you take out your tooth? Are you Hawko's buddy with, you know, the hockey player? I'm like, yeah. And it gets to the point, I'm like, I'm actually, I said, I'm actually playing in, in Gander now. That's how Aaron Asherman got in there. Because he, he told me, he goes, Asherman's playing. Yeah. He goes, no fucking way. I go, yeah. So, and this guy's in fucking Hollywood. And again, Momoa's team is all out there. I don't know what's going on. So I, Danielle goes, this is good. This is good. I start to do the British cook again. They're like, no, no, no. So <laughs> I'm getting good vibes, but they're like, no, just go, go, go. And she goes, I'll be in touch real soon. So they're thinking, and I don't know what the fuck they're thinking. Before I'm home, Danielle calls me. She goes, come out to my house right now. I went out. She goes, if you can cry and you got to really bring yourself there, but if you can do it, and you can look, and Brad goes, I want blood, snot, tears, I want it, but this is the very first seed in Frontier, and we're going out on a fucking limb, you're not even an actor, but we think you can do it, if you can do it now for Danielle, you'll have to do it on camera, and that can be our teaser, it's all good, you're in, we don't have to fly somebody in, it's a stunt, but it's an easy stunt, it's just this, and go down, only a stunt because it's a union thing, at no point was I really at risk of getting hurt, so uh, I come in on crew, so I come in. I haven't met Momoa yet, but I know he's read my book. He's from Des Moines, Iowa, and is a big hockey fan. And it's wild because I'd worked with this crew for so long now. And it's really rare that you go from locations to being like a main or an actor at all, really. I mean, you know, it's just, you know, I'm cleaning toilets the week before. So I come in and now, but it's four years that I've done this. So I know everybody. So behind the cameras, there's three cameras, camera A, B, and C. A's looking right at me. My hands are behind my back. I got to beg for my life. Please have mercy. Right. And <laughs> behind the cameras, though, are all the crew. So behind me, the cameras are looking at. It's like looks really somber. It's three TPs with the fire going, me and two other British soldiers. I got I, half the reason I got it is no tooth, right? It helps yeah. really beat up. So it's hard to reproduce that in hair and makeup. So. That's it. But behind the cameras, I'm looking at all my buddies, and they're like, "Yeah, T-Bone, how the fuck did you get here?" And I'm going, "Yeah, can't wait." Amora comes up during rehearsal. He comes up, and I haven't met him yet because I'm like this, and his his knife hits me, and he goes, "Oh, sorry, my knife hit you in the back." I said, "I thought you were just happy to see me." Everybody's laughing. Everybody's laughing, and then Brad Payton goes, "Guys, shut the fuck up." The director, and he goes, "Now come down," or he goes, "Terry, I'm coming down." He comes in, he gets next to my ear, and he says. I'm not sure you understand how, how important this is. Like, this is the, like, we, I love that you're funny and it's camaraderie. It's not the time for that. 
He said, you need to cry. I need you rage. He goes, you're not saying please have mercy because you're begging for your life. You're begging that he kills you quick. You're, you're like, you want, you're not begging to keep staying alive. You just want to be, you're like, you don't want to be disemboweled in front of everybody and eaten by a coyote. You want to die right now. So he goes like, you know, have I been clear? I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just fucking around. I'm trying to break the tension. So he goes, okay, how much time do you need? And I said, uh, I need like 30 seconds. And he said, well, and I didn't really know that because I'm not a fucking actor. <laughs> but he goes, mm-hmm. okay. He goes, everybody shut up two minutes. He goes, you got two minutes. So I just stood there and I could hear the fire cackling. Everybody's fucking relying on me. At somewhere behind me is Jason Moore, who I haven't really yet met yet. I, I saw it, looked in his eye and I'm the main guy. And the guys next to me are actors. So I know I've been given a shot. I think I got, you know, I think I'll, I'll, everybody knows the story I just told you. And I think they, they want to give me a shot, right? So I'm, I, I just, and it, I started thinking about the worst possible thing, right? Like my daughter and the things that could happen. What made you cry? You know, how'd you make yourself cry? You know, what got, me there? <laughs> what got me there was I just. No, the first Browry couldn't get it, off. It was, it was back in the. What it was, it was overwhelming. I started to think about like everything that I'd been through. And it was almost like a second shot. I'm like, you know, this is second shot at the big time. The NHL is one thing. This is real acting now. Like this is not fucking around in someone's indie thing in their backyard short film. This is Jason Momoa. Like, you know, and I just started to think of like, what are the odds I was going to get back? And so many people are in my corner. And it was almost like a, it was a flood of emotion that I can't really explain good, bad, and ugly. Well, all of it, but you made it happen. It was just, it was emotion. Yeah. And I knew I was getting there once I did it once which is what you see on the camera. It's right again. It's, it's five seconds into the first episode. Um, but because what camera, once they get it, then then I've done my job. Now I can kind of walk through it because they're getting other, you you end up doing the shot a bunch, but once they get my my big time reaction, right? Now yeah. we got it. And what we did, we put a prosthetic net. It was rubber though, but my had a real knife and it was like a, a, a Mr. Freezy full of fake blood is the best way I can explain it. And it was sitting under the rubber. But it was kind of scary, too, because, you know, if, if he was off, which he was, but I mean, you know, there was a chance. Hit your juggler. So, yeah. So anyway, and that happened. And then Momoa, afterwards, we went out for beers. I taught him to play hockey on Sundays with my buddy, the chef, Jeremy Charles. Did he put the skates on and yeah. get out there? Put the skates on. He'd, yeah. he'd, he'd worn rollerblades before. So he actually could skate yeah. and he could shoot it like normal, like his center of gravity is normal. A hard yeah. shot, but he, he couldn't stop. But we got, I, I taught him and then. Over, you know, it just became, I was hanging out with him. And then his personal assistant ended up going back to California. Her dad was sick, I think, or something. So he just looked at me and said, you want to be my personal assistant for a few months? I was like, sure. He goes, I got to pay somebody. Might as well be you. So not only that, it was, it was That's awesome. high with him. But he's like, come, he used to make me come to set. And I used to have a briefcase. And the briefcase would be lined. And we'd put ice and Guinness in it. Most of what I had for him, like, we'd, we'd be off. And, the, and he goes, how good is it to be alive? And we'd be we'd drink a Guinness. And he'd go, go back on set. And it was, it was just great. Uh-huh. And he was not, not, not that he wasn't serious. He was just, he always, he's like, always have some Guinness. Always have my schedule. And, uh, you know, know where we're going to uh-huh. go to dinner that night. I was like, okay. So he took me to Europe. He put me in season three of Frontier like a, f- a few times, just with a different. That's gig. awesome. Put me in a couple of movies and, and introduced me to a bunch of stunt people. So that's how it started. Then I was in more stunts than anything. And sometimes 
your stunt double, but sometimes like in episode, I think nine of Hudson and Rex, then I get back here. Now there's a few things going on. Surreal estate, Hudson and Rex, cot, little dog. And I got a chance at all of them because I'm a local actor now. And you would, you know, there's more and more of us here now because it's an industry and why fly somebody in to do the same job. So the timing couldn't have been any better. And I was telling this story on a podcast maybe three years ago. And that's when in four years ago, I guess. And Jared Kiso was listening from Letterkenny. And it, honestly, I hung up the phone from doing the podcast. And met two hours later, I'm driving down the road and the phone rang and it was casting from Letterkenny. Can you be up here? Um, send us an audition. And it, uh, I was led to believe that it was my role to lose. But just send us an audition and it's yours. And I did it. I did it on Letterkenny when they said they were going to have me back. I had no idea it was for Shorzy. But letter, that was season eight of Letterkenny. Season nine, I didn't go back. I thought it was in the thought it was just an idea that had gone. I met Jared. He was nice. I only right. went up and did Letter Kenny for the couple days. But then two years ago around now, I got the call. You want to, there's a show. For sure. And I, I knew his character in Letter Kenny. I didn't really know where they were going with it. And I didn't know until I got there that I was one of the main characters, but it was it worked it worked out. So Shorzy, right? How, how many episodes are there a season? There's six. So we did the first one. There's six. And now, as I see it, we're going to do season two. In a month, I leave. We're going to do it March, April, May. We'll be another. Season. Where do you do that? Sudbury, for the most part. Su Sudbury. So you're up there. Sudbury. H how long did it take to do those six episodes? We go real fast. It took about six weeks. It, okay. For me to do. So a week an episode, huh? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's fast. Like, the way we go through it. Just knowing what I know, they're brilliant at Letterkenny and Shorzy because they get the most out of it. It's, you know, I've worked on films that are, you know, I did Star Trek in Ontario, so you're going to get the, you know, you know, the, the the best possible funding and situation, the most, it's five star all the way at Star Trek. Well, you know, I'm not saying that we're any less professional, but definitely have a smaller budget, but they're brilliant at Letterkenny. And we often do like, we'll read like over 20 pages in a row and that's, most shows I work on, like a scene, a long scene would be four, five, six pages. We do them frequently in letter in Shorzy that are 20 plus. But it's great because we just sit there and learn the lines together. We're in a hockey dressing room. You know, we yeah. got our gear on. We're telling stories. I won't say we ad lib. I, I wouldn't really insult the writers because it's so good by doing that. But I get to do it a little bit because... My job, you're a noof. Ted Hitchcock, you got the Ted noof. Hitchcock in the show, and they, the whole point of my dialogue is that a lot of it you you don't understand. So I, I talks like this, right? I, I answers the questions yeah. like this. I talks like this, and Hitches, you know, he barely understands them half the time, right? So I I kind of newfanese their lines that they already have written, but for the most part, you know, but a lot of it is on the spot. Like we won't just try to just ad lib, but. As we're there, Jarrett will generate a lot of ideas. Like we'll come in and do that's why it's it's really it's meta reality because we're all hockey players and he went out of his way yeah. to do that. You know, I've since been told nobody wanted that. Bell didn't want it, none of them. He said, Trust me, I know a couple of hockey players that are in the acting union, I'm one of them. And he said, There's a couple more and I, the lines I'm gonna give them, they're gonna be brilliant at. And the way he did it, you know, he just he's brilliant at it. So but we'll often be there. We go in and put on our gear on like you do. We go out for a skate right while the cameras are getting ring, yeah. ring some up. You know, Jordan Nolan will be telling us about one of his three Stanley Cups. I mean, there's never any shortage of what things to talk about. So by the time we go to shoot, you know, some of those chirps might be from a story that Jordan just told. But we don't really ad-lib on the spot.
Now, do you aspire to maybe one day, other than chores, like be, get a movie role and do something like that? Because listen, I, I look at Wahlberg, right? Yeah. Come from Boston. He had the Boston accent. It's gone. You know, they work with you on that shit. I like I always say I could never get rid of my accent. You know, Pac, Ka, Harvey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I can't say my fucking eyes. Do you think if someone could sit and work with you like a voice articulation coach? Yeah. You could shed not only the Newfie accent. The fucking Canadian accent. You know what? It's a great question, Knuckles. So I just finished a movie. Now, when we shot it, it was called Made to Kill, but I think they got to change. It's a Lifetime movie. It's going to be on real soon. I think they got to change the name because there's another movie name now with that. But stay tuned yeah. to my Instagram. It's it's going to be out there soon. And that's exactly this place takes place in New England. And that's and I did. There was a voice per coach on set. And they were like, you know, we can't go Newfoundland with this. But here's, and they gave me like four or five different uh, characters to learn from. So I just, I just finished a movie that I attempted what you just said. Hopefully it works out. It felt good, but you never really know till it's post-production and you see it on camera. But yeah, I do get the odd opportunity. I got an agent right. in downtown Toronto, Ambition Talent, and they've been, you know, I get a lot of auditions and stuff now. So, so who knows? And I know that it, it was my living anyway. It was more crew than anything. And I would get the odd acting day or stunt day over here. But now Shorzy's opened up that door that I'm getting called to do it like in other places. And that opens up a lot of opportunities. Again, knock on wood. But so far, it's, it's, you know, so far I've been extremely busy. There you go, Nux. Here's your actor for your part. And your yeah, give us your give us really. your Boston accent, Terry. Let's hear it. Uh -huh. <laughs> oh fuck! I, I couldn't do it. Park the car and Harvard Yard. Harvard, Harvard. I, I was just down. Uh, I was just down. Speaking of Wahlberg, his production team. I just did like an ultimate fighting on on ice, a hockey thing. I don't know if you. Yeah. I, I met a bunch of his friends. I, I I don't know if it was his production team, but definitely his friend. I mean, they had him on the horn there. I think him and Domi might be in on something, whatever it was. Yeah, they're buddies. Yeah, yeah. So I went down, these guys, I went down. It was ultimate fighting. Like the NHL alumni called me and said they want, they're going to give you X amount of dollars to go down and get in this hockey fight. You know, we had gloves on, but it was a real <laughs> hockey fight. It's been years, man. So it was wild. Four rounds, a minute per round. I can't tell you who won. And who do you fight? No, it's, I, I see guy this. From fucking Boston, up. man. Yeah. I fought a local from Boston. He was tough too. Ten, at least 10 years younger. But I on the ice. Yeah. On the ice with the gloves on. Gloves on. No, no boxing gloves. Box, ultimate fighting gloves, not boxing. Okay. okay. Fighting gloves. Uh if your helmet pops off, time stops. If your knee hits the ground, time stops. So and the jerseys were really loose, so it just ended up being this for fucking four <laughs> minutes, man. It was wild. After the first round, can't really tell you who wins. You'll see it real soon. It's coming out soon. After the first round, I couldn't fucking believe it, because this is what happened, okay? <laughs> We get there. I don't really know. When they first called me to do it, I thought it was a commercial and they wanted me to do it because I could knew how to. I mean, there's now having been in this bar in the stunts, I know where to put the cameras. I know how to do the stunts, right? To, to have the best. Like you put the camera behind your head on an angle and you can miss me by a foot and still, if the timing's right. So I thought yeah. it was that. That's what I thought. But <clears throat> about three days before, they're calling me, like, do you have your own doctor? I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck do I need a doctor for? I, that's what happened. So I got down there and I went out to do this. And so I've, I'm not prepared at all. I don't even have shoulder pads <laughs> with me, okay? So I get down there 
and my opponent is in the room. Shadow boxing. He's putting these, he's putting the fucking tape on. And I'm going, and this was where my mistake came. I'm thinking, I'm not putting tape on my, my hands and my wrists. Like, you know, I never did that before. Why do I need it now? But so we get ready and we go out and we go to do our thing. The fucking smoke show, the round lady comes out round one. Everything. I come and I'm thinking at the very least, I know how to fight. So if he starts hammering me, I'll just pull a Darren Langdon and tie him up and fucking, you know, just get through. And but the jerseys are so fucking elastic and I don't have shoulder pads like an idiot. Right. <laughs> so I can't play that because like I'm, I'm coming out. So it's really punch and be punched or there's no other route. But he's hitting me. And like I got a story in my second book, the top three times I've ever been punched. One was Ryan Vandenbush. One was Mark Morrow. And one was Trevor Gillies. There's fights. I'm not saying Dobie doesn't have as good of a punch. But he just uh, didn't hit me with one like that. I mean, straight on, like where, you know, you see, you just get sick to your stomach and take a breath. That's the three times. And this guy hit me off the bat and each punch was like that. And I'm going, what the fuck? What if I lost? What cut, cut. I'm in good shape. Yeah, cut, cut. It's after the round, I'm over there. If it, had, if it had ended then, if it had ended then, he would have fucking kicked the shit out of me. They were like, do you want it to stop? Do you want it to stop? I'm over there and I'm, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, like, and I realized, I'm like, man, I'm going to let everybody down. This show, my fucking daughter, I'm, like, I'm going to let all the old school guys down, right? All the old school guys that I fought are going to go like, you know, I got I to at least go out and, and have a draw here. They're expecting me to win, so I can't quit. But I'm like, but I can because I've been paid. I can quit if I want. And I'm like, <laughs> and I went, trainer who they got assigned. I don't have a guy. I don't have a corner guy. I don't have a doctor, right? Buddy got everything. <laughs> uh, but anyway. They come over in my corner, and my my corner guys who have been assigned to me. Buddy just brought up YouTube, and he showed me like a couple of my fights, and he's like, "You got to do this." I'm like, "I'm just taking punches there the whole time." Like, he goes, "Yeah, but that's what you got to do. Like, you're good at that." So then I realize it, and I'm like, "But his punches are hurting so much." He goes, and the guy goes, "That's why we told you to put the fucking. It's like cement, man. He's got his his hand taped like a boxer." And I was like, "Jesus Christ!" Not only that. I forgot my mouth guard, and so this is so their mouth guard that they got me wouldn't fit. They got one at like the fucking sports craft store, and it's nothing. So I got knives in my mouth. I'm, boom! I'm like Jesus! I'm feeling that one, and the guy got a mouth guard in, and he's got his hands like they're cement. So I did it. Terry. Did it. I stood back and did it for four fucking rounds. I couldn't. It was well. It was just God bless you. Amazing. God bless you. Now. What's the setting? You're on the ice. You got a ring. They got a ring on the. In, they put a ring on no, the ice. They put a ring on the. Ice. And you're on ice. Well, and you go to your corner. Ring. It's a really, really loose ring. Like we, I can't even remember seeing the outskirts of it because you're right. in the corner. So corner. Yeah. The corner of the rink is, I guess, naturally one side of the ring. Then the cameras are over here. Yeah. The people. Yeah. Yeah. There, and there, there's a border. Yeah. It is. It, it's big, but it's a ring. Yeah. Was it Cambridge? Maybe that's it. Canton? Canton? Canton. Canton. That's there you go. All right. It was in Canton, in the rink in Canton. So we went out there. Right near the Blue Hills. That's exactly yeah. where we were. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I got yeah. you. That's crazy. So yeah, yeah, man. I I went through it. I wish I could tell you because it actually ended up working out pretty good for both of us. But uh they're what they're doing is that it was sponsored by UFC. I I'll uh, I can send you some pics. But what they're doing is that the next UFC, they're going to, Mark's production team is going to present this before the fight, and they hope that in future it can 
they can it takes work off. with UFC. Well, it's like the slap thing, right? UFC, the mm-hmm. slap yeah. championship. No, that fucking crazy thing. I will. Fuck, I could not imagine. I can't either. Like, I remember they, back when I retired, I was like, right around the 90s, someone had one of them things where you're going to go out and fight a guy. They're going to have this fucking championship. They'll pay you so much. You fight one guy, you beat him, you go on the next round. Yeah. I'm, they asked me to do it. I'm there. What are you out of your fuck? <laughs> think I'm out of my fucking mind? No, even- out of my. I would never. Yeah, no. But I know now it's going to take a little bit more money if they want to get me back. Uh, and it was a long hockey, like a long, I, I didn't ever time hockey fights. Four minutes. But when they would go, you you fight, like those are long fights. Like my No, a minute fucking long. long. was like a minute or two, yeah. Like yeah. four minutes. And again, my helmet, if your helmet pops off or, or you go down, time stops. So right. this was very. There was, and you got to start her up again. You just got to go right. at it, man. We I bet you we punched each other a hundred times. <laughs> Yeah, oh, is there like an audience? Is there like fans? Yeah, you'll you'll see. It's well. Did, 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 What's the name of it? What's the I name? This was it. called. If you go back on my Instagram, you'll. I posted what I could without giving any of the way in October, right around October, um, and so yeah, you ultimate hockey fighting. So it's UHF under the guy Uf, under UFC, and what it was. I only had to fight the once. Because they told me, they go, what they wanted was a guy who actually played pro, preferably NHL, that had been in NHL fights, and so they could promote it. So mine, they, they went through, they, they did go through a tournament, whatever they did, the day before I got there. And, you know, they had that local Boston, whatever, but this particular guy and I were like the main event that they're going to, they're, that they're using for the commercial to try to promote this. I, I, don't, I didn't see the fights. Maybe they didn't have some toe-to-toe slugfests. But I guarantee you they're happy with like it, we were in a we were in a toe to toe fight for four minutes. It was crazy. Oh God. Yeah, that man. Like funny. halfway through going like, do I have a concussion or <laughs> did I just take punches this long? And then afterwards I remember we had beers afterwards and I'm like, I still don't really know if I'm all right. I figured <laughs> yeah, it out what just on the way back. <laughs> well, you know what's funny, oh, even speaking God. of that. I can do it. I had a couple of concussions, but I always got them from like having my head down and getting hit from from punches. I don't. I, I, I re, again. I want to knock on wood. I'm, I'll say this, and then Friday I'll go out and get in a bar fight and get killed. But I'm, I'm saying that I never. The punches were always fine. I, I never. That's that's. It, it was never really a problem. If anything, I mean, it's a problem if you get a black eye and you can't see out of it. But I never yeah. got any head trauma from punches, and I guess to this day. So hopefully it stays like that, but it, it wasn't really. So Tim, what? Tim, uh, Tim, uh, Newfoundland, right? Like it's a beautiful place. Like I, everybody always gives it to Newfies. I've been everywhere over there. St. Anthony, um, you know, Deer Lake. I've been to Gander. I've been to Fogo Island, yeah. Marystown, uh, all over. I friggin' love Newfoundland. St. Anthony's in the peninsula is awesome, right? It's incredible. Love it. You've been over like, here a lot for all the. Yeah, you've been, been over here probably the most for all the alumni guys. Man. But but Tim, off the coast of Newfoundland, there's a little island called Saint Pierre Miquelon. It is actually part of France. It's like eight miles off the coast of Newfoundland. Yeah. It is a French part wow. of the French Republic. It's France. Yeah, and it's so funny. Like, it, but I've been there too, and it's. It's a neat little village, you know, St. Pierre Miquelon. It's fucking wild. Oh, sorry, I cut you off. Were you going to speak, Tim? No, I'm no. just, I, I've oh, been, yeah. I know, I'm just interested. It's wild. I've the been there. Part, I... 
I dated a newfie. She was a little crazy, but uh, well, <laughs> understandable. Uh, <laughs> have you kissed the cod? I did. did. I, yeah, screech? yeah. I did the, the screech, screech. Yeah, because when I played yeah. in Toronto, we had a uh, the Marlies. We had a preseason tournament there. Yes. Oh, cool. Yeah. I know the preseason tournament. I know I'm very aware of your career. I didn't realize you were with the Marlies at that point. Um, so St. Pierre Michelin, yeah, it's wild. <laughs> it's it's and it's it's France. If you go there. The buildings, the materials, the, the goods, everything. everything, the goods and services, all all France. And so once in a while, we'll go over to play like a, you know, local guys will get together. They have no competition. They 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 really want it. So we'll go over and take like a senior team over and play. They'll sell it out, pay for everything all weekend. Like it's a really, but it's a really small population. But um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, Peaky Blinders, the new season of Peaky, yeah. Peaky Blinders. They did it there. Fine. It's the first time I've ever seen it referred to in any pop culture or even on many maps. Sometimes people pass right over it on the map. But it's right there. (laughs) Because it was like Peaky Blinders. When he goes in the bar, right? When he walks in the bar. Walks in because they are are smuggling a bunch of shit there. It's it's perfect for it. It's a little tiny island next to a big (laughs) island with all kinds of uh, traffic, you know, cargo going by. So you, you know, historically... St. Pierre Miquelon was used, you know, there, there, there's, there have been many uses, but, you know, the smugglers wouldn't be an exaggeration. And Peaky Blinders actually brings it in the, in the forefront, the first time that I've ever really seen. But normally, if I say that, no one knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, isn't the time well, change like an hour and a half? <laughs> isn't like, right? Like there's like an extra 30 minutes or something? Yeah, that- Hour and twenty, <laughs> hour and twenty-seven min- yeah. minutes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, here's the deal. Uh, we could keep going all day. Like, fuck, it's almost dinner time. If we keep going, it'll be fucking bedtime. Well, if you got- and I could, I could go all day with you. There's no question about it. Um, Tim and I, we do a thing sometimes with our guests. Either or, so either or. So we're gonna do it with you. We'll bang it out. Um, and I'll start blondes or brunettes, either or for sure. Yeah, <laughs> no, which, no you which, one? <laughs> which one? Yeah, you have to pick one, either. Oh, either you or, have to pick like, one. Okay, either or. That, that I can't honestly answer that. It's either or is not an answer. I like it. Though. Oh, that was clever. Either, I thought I either or yeah. is not an answer. If he's you like, have both. to pick one, if anyone, anyone, redheads, anything. Yeah, blonde or brunette. Well, you know, I've been married to two blondes. I'm not anymore, but I mean, so I guess okay. maybe subconsciously there's something there. All right. This is a lightning round now. Yeah, Go yeah. ahead. Acting or hockey? Jesus. Hockey always. That's a good Hockey one. always. Hockey. All right. Uh, shovel snow or rake leaves? Rake leaves. Scoring a goal or getting in a fight? Where? Where is this happening? <laughs> is this- in the NHL. Oh, fuck. Um, I guess I could only go from experience, and I, I like getting in a fight. But I, I can't deny that that's what I did when I was there, and I have a great memory of it. All right. Batman or Superman? Batman, for sure. Spitting chiclets or raw knuckles? <sighs> raw knuckles. <laughs> there we go. There we go. All right. Over easy. Or scramble. Over easy every time with a bit of toast. Soak it up. Uh, Timmy Hortons or Starbucks? Tim Hortons all the way. 
Molson or Labatt? That's a tricky one because Molson treated me so good in Montreal, but my friends here in Newfoundland have always been Labatt's guys. I grew up with them. They've So I got to say right now, Labatt. Red wine or white wine? Red. Boxes or ball huggers? <laughs> ball huggers. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm almost exclusively banana hammocks. I'm out, I'm out Nux. All right. Uh, here's here's one um ribeye or new york sirloin new york sirloin probably okay. my most ordered steak dogs or people ah <laughs> oh, boy people and the last one you got the munchies pizza <laughs> or chinese food if i've got the munchies pizza every time Okay. Good stuff. Hey, Terry, uh, Ryan, I got to tell you, that was awesome. Thank you for that your was. time. It was so much fun. It's always fun when people get on here and tell stories. You're a great storyteller uh, and consider you a good friend. And I appreciate your, your time for sure. It was a lot of fun. Well, honestly, I, of all the podcasts, it's a privilege to do this one. Honestly, Knuckles, like I said, like I said, your heroes are formed when you're you know, in that age, eight to 12. And I was a huge Canadians fan. I was always a big Knuckles fan. It's almost like two different Knuckles because now you're my buddy. I don't really think of it like that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, right. It's Yeah, I mean, now, I mean, fuck, that was a while ago too. It, when we were playing even those games, remember in St. John, some alumni games yeah. in like the mid 2000s, you know, I guess it's been 15 or 16 years now. And like I said, I met you in the late 90s. Yeah. So I've known you now more in my life than I didn't really. So, but thanks yeah. a lot. And Tim, respect your career. And um, you too. stay in touch. Uh, and I know you guys are doing well. Knuckles, really, yeah. you, I don't want to comment on everything that went down. I don't agree with it. I think you got fucked over. Let's leave it at that. But, but, unless you want to talk about it, but. Yeah, I can talk about it. I don't <laughs> but, care. You know, I just thought for someone that's so liked and, you know, so passionate, and it's not often that you have a player that's, so so embraced by the fans that goes on and as a spokesperson and then it all comes to an end because of something that some bullshit it's like i said to andrew shaw he was on my podcast yesterday yeah. the fans love andrew shaw like they loved you it's, yeah. It, it, yeah. maybe not the same but you know what i mean he's that kind of player and you know so yeah. you should get into podcasting or something andrew because people want to hear what you have to say knuckles people Hang on every word. Mm -hmm. And when you were working there in Montreal, I would listen all the time. I would tune in because it was Knuckles Nyland. And now a lot of people take a bullet, man, and they don't know what to do. But you've come back fucking tenfold. And um, uh, I really I, I wish wish you guys both luck. And I, I you know yeah. that. Uh, that whole thing is crazy, right? You know, I, I, I didn't want to get that vaccination for health, personal health reasons. And they wanted nothing to do with they didn't, they didn't want to hear it from me, you know? And now the shit that's coming out now, it doesn't look so fucking bad. It's just, you know, you know, I got it because I was going to do Shores. And I don't judge yeah, anybody for getting either. it either. I don't either. I'm like that. That's what you get like, it. You get it. It even be a topic. If someone doesn't want, I, I found that bizarre. I really did. And, and, and you know, we could, they, we could unpack that for three days. They put you in a corner, though. They put you in a corner. Yeah, is what they did. Yeah, that's that's not right. And I and I, I think most right. people, like I said, 
you know, I not only would I not judge anybody, but it's beyond that. It's forcing somebody. Yep. You know, yeah. like if you don't do this, yeah, I'll take if this. you don't put this inside <laughs> you, that should be even a chocolate bar. Yeah. I shouldn't have to have a fucking baby Ruth if I don't want to. Right? No, I, I just true. find that fucking insane. But anyway, it's done. You've you've rebounded. And if you ever need uh, anything thanks. else from me, just let me know. I really appreciate you having me on your show. You know the funny thing, and I'll just end with this. They had a 20-year anniversary of that station. I won't even say the name. And they fucking wanted me to come to that. Really? Can you believe it? <laughs> Can you fucking believe it? They thought I was going to come there. And, with and, a mask, and the irony of it, mask. right? <laughs> yeah, like they don't want me in the building to do a show, but I can come to the fucking anniversary and say hi to the guy who fucking fired me. That's a lot of balls, idiots. Yeah, and oh, again, they wanted crazy. you. They wanted you. I'm assuming because you 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 articulate your thoughts well, but the kind of history that you've got with the main team there, like you your presence with the Montreal Canadiens. But what the reason that they got rid of you was exactly why they wanted you. You stand up for yourself. Yeah. You stand up for your teammates and what yeah. you think is right. Yeah. I mean, it's it it's so hypocritical. And I feel really, I, I mean, I, I can't say I, I don't pity or anything, but I, I just yeah. I felt for you there. I was like, fuck, man. Everybody yeah, was paying attention. And uh, here you are, a guy that go out and wear your heart on your sleeve and stick up for so many people. And then for that not yeah. to happen the other way around, bit of a slap in yeah, the face, if I must say so. Much. That's life. Hey, awesome, awesome to see you. Stay in touch, and I wish you nothing but the best, Terry. Thank you.